Hello and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on August the 12th of 2020. I am Nick, here with Chris. That's me. It is you. Mm-hmm. Chris, uh, I do want to give you the chance to uh, go on a, a tangent. Okay. But um, before we do that... It's fair. We should get this out of the way just so we can say it and it, we can be done talking about it. Um it's important that we talk about this, but I don't want to dwell on it. And uh, for those of you who aren't already aware of the very, I mean, if you keep up with Shonen Jump manga, you probably are already aware of what happened over this past weekend. But in case you're not, there's going to be, I'm going to go ahead and leave a little bit of a content warning, a bit of a trigger warning here, because we're going to be talking about a, an incident where uh, sexual harassment towards minors occurred. Uh, so, We'll be talking about that for a couple of minutes, and if you don't want to hear us talk about that, you know, if you're listening to the recording, skip ahead a few minutes. If you're listening to us live, then come back in a few minutes. So, uh, over this past weekend, um, in fact, uh, it was it would have been early Saturday morning for those of us in the U.S. Uh, the writer of Actage, uh, Matsuki Tatsuya was arrested uh, because he apparently, while out in public, harassed two young girls, like middle age, age, and not middle age, middle school age. <laughs> it wouldn't have made it better, but anyway. Um, and uh, in situations like this, you have to, of course, already take uh, the allegation seriously when it comes to something like that. But on top of there being an allegation, he confessed to having done it. So it seems pretty clear cut that this guy did something disgusting and horrible and criminal. And so he was arrested. Uh, and the next day, uh, actors was canceled. Now, when Chris and I talked about it, it basically as soon as we were both awake after the news broke and we agreed pretty quickly. Okay. We cannot talk about this series anymore because that is a form of promotion for the series. It is a form of support. It puts it in people's minds and encourages them to go and check it out. And we do not want to in any way support someone who has done something so gross and awful as that. Mm -hmm. But before it would have even mattered that we had come to that decision, the series was canceled. And there has been a lot of talk out there uh, because this is something that God garnered a lot of attention. It was uh, actage was trending on Twitter um, for a good chunk of the day. The news broke. And of course, then when the series got canceled, unfortunately, this means that the artist of the series, Shiro Suzaki, no longer has a series running in jump through no fault of her own. Um, a lot of support has come out for, for her because, you know, of the circumstances that she is now in. Um, and obviously, if you are a fan of Actage, it does suck to hear that a series that you enjoyed ended because it turns out that the writer of the series was a scumbag. Um, but the point simply is that there are things in the world that are more important.
important than stuff that we talk about on this show for the most part. And I think that the decision that was made was the only good decision that could have been made. Mm. And so we are now in a world without actage and that is it. And hopefully, um, justice is done in this case. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, the victims get justice. Hopefully, uh, Shirozaki moves on to have a successful career outside of this. And that's basically the end of it. I don't think that there's anything more that there can be said about it because that's it. It's, I will say though, though it is very weird because, uh, because of the timing of when this went down, um, the act, the chapter of actors that would have come out this week, of course, was not put up mm. because it exists, uh, but you, it is not being both manga plus and viz have not put up the series. That chapter will not be viewed in, in a legal English, uh, translation at all. Cause it's in print in Japan. It, that's, what's so weird is that the timing of it means that it is in the magazine, which went out to stores. Yeah, the magazine was already made by the time this news happened. So it's, it's kind of eerie in a sense because of that, but that's it. There's no actage. It's a shame. Um, but yeah, what, yeah. Can, what can be said? About it? Yeah. Moving on from that to lighter subject matter, um, partially as a result of this, this is going to affect the stuff that we are going to talk about going into the future. Uh, and to just kind of, you know, yeah, we're going to be, you know, switching things up a little bit in terms of the what order we talk about things. That's it. I don't think that we're going to ever talk about actage again. Yes. Uh, it should also be in it to, to completely just pull off of that subject. Uh, there's going to be probably a little bit of, uh, I don't, I'm trying to think of a better word than turmoil, but, but there's going to be, uh, expect a, a shakeup of the actual series in the recap and weekly manga recap going forward for probably the next like three to four months as a lot of things are happening. Obviously we just talked about yeah. a series that's leaving. We talked about how we were going to add, add Kaiju eight. Uh, we had been joking about getting rid of mission Sakura family, which may still happen. It's not gone right now, but it may still happen. Uh, time paradox ghost rider is probably going to be ending soon. Bone collection looks like it's going to be ending next week. Uh, there's a very, honestly, if you told me right now Chainsaw Man ends in three months, I 100% could believe you because we are definitely closer to the end than the beginning. Uh, there's going to be Burn the Witch coming up in two weeks. That's going to be added to the recap, but that's only a four-month-long series. There's a lot of different things that are going to be happening. We're also looking at other series to bring into the recap that are currently in Jump or other places. So yeah. there's, there's stuff happening, so... Uh, there might be a little inconsistency, not inconsistency, just a little bit of like chaos for a little bit. Uh, yeah. But eventually we'll kind of come to some level of an end. It won't be a stable. The These are the series that we talk about. And then we rotate in jump chapters mm. uh, for a while because, yeah, things are changing. And, and, and also as a result of things changing, we're going to be doing a little bit of experimentation and just kind of seeing how well things flow together and through, into each other and stuff like that. And you'll see a bit of a change up in things in this very episode. So, yeah. for example, here we go. for example, look, Nick, I'm now in the outer worlds. I can change my video screen and all sorts of things. I don't have to come up. No, no, no. Who knows what visuals you might see during this episode? Anything could happen. But right now, I don't want anything. But anything so, could happen. 
Let's get into the recap portion of the Manga Recap. My Hero Academia, chapter number 280, Red Riot. And of course, Chris, the chapter is called Red Riot. Ashido's on the cover of the, of the, of the Well, Nick, Ashido was at the end of the last chapter in a big kind of panel to suggest that she had a plan and was going to be very important. So I'm looking so, forward to this one. Ashido burst through the fire and was the only hero that seemingly could make it through the fire to approach Gigantomachia because uh, nobody else had uh, protection against it. She summoned her acid man thing in order to get through it. Um, we see that a few people are, a few of the heroes on the ground are kind of uh, not doing so good right now. They're you know either worried about the fire and are being held at bay by it. Or some of them have kind of been uh, knocked around a bit. Uh, Kaminari is um, being comforted by one of the female members of Class 1B. And uh, he reacts to his situation by pointing out that he is uh, getting a lap pillow right now. Because um, Mineta is not in that situation. So he's got to be the one to point it out, I guess. Yeah, so, uh, Ashido rushes in towards uh, Gigantomachia. She re- reiterates the point that we kind of, you know, brought up last time. It's like she's the only one who can make her way through the fire. Uh, and there is a little bit of confusingly ordered internal monologue that happens as she's getting set to throw the uh, anesthetic into Gigantomachia's mouth. Uh, but I believe that what is happening is that she is reflecting on midnight and is worried about her potentially being dead. But also at the same time, she's like, I've got to melt away the fear keeping me in place, which I was a a thing that hasn't really been brought up a whole lot. I think she may have mentioned this literally once in her entire history in the series, but she gets set to throw the anesthetic into Gigantomachia's mouth and Gigantomachia Meanwhile, is just kind of ho-hum about this whole situation, having a giant woman prying his mouth open while these other, you know, tiny bugs try and attack him and stuff. And he basically realizes, oh, I made a mistake not actually crushing all of the bugs that were trying to stop me this entire time. So I guess I made the the wrong choice. And he kind of looks angrily back up at uh, Mount Lady and says aloud, the shortest route means keeping gnats from getting up again. At this moment, Ashido realizes, oh, he's that really huge guy that I confronted back when I was in junior high. And then she was and she remembers how she got him to leave some 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 girls alone and then collapsed in fear because of how scary he was. And in that moment, she has um, an other M Samus confronting Ridley moment flashes back to being that small, not as strong as she is now, junior high student. And as she's tossing the anesthetic, it kind of slips out of her fingers and she loses her grip on it while Gigantomachia throws uh, Mount Lady off of himself. And Ashido's like, oh shit, oh shit, and tries to grab the canister, which has slipped out of her grasp, as Gigantomachia's hand comes descending down on her. And then Kirishima arrives and he throws her out of the way, I think. He does something. I don't 
physics don't have to always make sense, Nick. Sometimes you could just wing it, you know? Like, when you set up a trebuchet, you're like, which way is this going to go? And you're like, no one knows it could go anywhere. It could go backwards. Who knows? So, no one knows how to make a trebuchet go where they no want to. physics. That's Come not on, a thing. Black, black magic. Yeah. Look, I, if I jump on the other end of the trebuchet, it'll launch, it'll launch my uh, projectile further. Yeah, you know. It's just math. I like to think in the Horikoshi world, there's like a whole bunch of like physics things that don't make sense. Like you see like a really big guy on like a like a seesaw and then like a feather lands on the other side and he shoots into space and something like that. You're just like, yeah, whatever. It can just be whatever you want, I guess. Yeah, it's like, you know, how that's how that experiment would go on the moon, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this all takes place on the moon. That's why it doesn't make sense. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All those people that were leaping around and moving really far. I thought that they had superpowers, but no, it's the moon. Of course. It's the moon. Kirishima throws Ashido out of the way. So he gets smacked by Gigantomachi instead, but he is hardened, so he's presumably okay. Uh, At that moment, Tetsu 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 catches Ashido at some point. Uh, Mount Lady's not looking so good right now. And. Ashido, of course, is worried about Kirishima, and Tetsu uh, just kind of, like, acknowledges, like, yeah, that asshole. I mean, like, he doesn't burn much, but he doesn't have my super heat-proof ability, and he actually rushed through the fire faster than I did. Gigantomachia uh, um, collects all of the people on his back, Um Although someone drops off, I'm not sure who exactly that is because it's hard to tell. I think it's one of the students, I think, but I'm not sure. Uh, and he's, So he starts to collect himself, but at that moment, Kirishima starts climbing up his arm Wolverine style using his hardened fingers to dig into Gigantomachia's skin. And he, you know, basically does his big superhero catchphrase thing. Uh, he's like, I'm Red Riot. No one behind me is going to bleed. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, he tries to throw the can- his canister, but uh, Toga apparently is an expert at throwing knives really, really, really accurately from a long distance. And uh, she breaks it by just tossing a knife down there. But fortunately, when he threw Ashido out of the way, he happened to grab her cat canister and he's like no no Ashido I know I know that I literally threw you aside in order to be the the important character of this chapter but your chivalrous spirit is in good hands so this is we we work together to make this happen that's that's what the, that's what this means uh-huh so he tosses the canister he got from her straight into Gigantomachia's mouth and it crunches in his mouth and that happens uh Kirishima drops down Tokage catches him uh, with some of her body parts. Meanwhile, down on the ground, Yairozu uh, has set up a, a freaking artillery barrage, basically. Yeah. <laughs> a line of cannons. And so a bunch of people are working together to bombard Gantamaki from down there. Uh, she also has, importantly, like created like fireproof clothing for a few people. Good move. Uh, and then she's like, the more he moves around, the faster the drug should work. Majestic. <laughs> oh, I think majestic is a seer is a hero. I guess. I guess that's the. It. I guess so that's the. Herself. Yeah, I was like, I guess that's the dude who we see in the next panel. 
Because he says understood. Yet. So I think that we've actually seen this guy before, but he's one of the many, many pro heroes who like wasn't in the top 10 and hasn't been highlighted before. So, uh-huh. so yeah. Um, yeah, a bunch of heroes are, are coming towards Gigantamachia. And so, yeah, they're going to try and bring him down. We cut over to the fight against Shigaraki. Shigaraki's not looking so good. He's down on the ground. And Endeavor's like, fuck you, Shigaraki, you suck. And that's basically the end of the chapter. <laughs> Pretty much it. <laughs> he, said, he says, you've got power, but without ideals, your hollow destruction will never bring us down. Shigaraki's like, fuck you, I've got ideals. And that's yeah. where the chapter ends. Uh, so, yeah. Um, in, a, in a bottle... I, I do think that this chapter would be a lot better than if it were not free from the context of My Hero Academia having a problem with, we're going to have a female character do something cool. No, they didn't. And yeah. <laughs> it was very this time, <laughs> is all I'm saying, because they did the whole thing last time where it seemed like Ashido was going to get to do the thing. And then this chapter opens up with her getting her own color title page which yeah. makes it really seem like she's gonna be important and then she really isn't <laughs> she gets rescued and has a flashback and is like oh no i've lost the will to be courageous and that's it so one of my favorite moments in all of one piece is in the alabasta arc and it's uh, it's when they're trying to stop this bomb that's going to go off and basically cause all these problems and vivi gets this clock tower where it is and it's too tall. She's not going to be able to make it up the clock tower in time. But then a bunch of the straw hats are there to help basically launch her up all the way up to the top of this building. But then because Crocodile was full of all these twists, when she gets up there, there's actually more members of Baroque Works there. But it's OK because she's a fighter. So she launches out her attack and she defeats them. But even then, at that point, they find out the bomb is set to a timer. You can't just be disabled. So Pell has to fly in. He has to grab the bomb. and He has to fly off. And it's after all these other events have gone on that Crocodile's beaten Luffy twice, that there was like the smoke screen that prevented uh, Vivi from seeing Koza and all these things. All these elements played in to make this a very dramatic, tense moment. And I think it was exceptionally well done. And there's kind of almost a little of that here, but it just loses out on that idea of like creating the suspense and making everybody feel like they were a part of it all the way through. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't mind necessarily that Kirishima has a cool moment because Kirishima is a good character and it is a cool moment of him jumping in front of his classmates saying, hey, I'm Red Riot. I am a shield that will keep everyone from behind me ever hurting. That's that's his entire character. It's a very good moment for him. And he has a relationship and, with, with the Sh- Ashido. So and it works. with Gigantomachia. Yes. This is, you know, his moment of redemption. So, so this is very good there. And I think it's a great moment that he takes his vial, he throws it, it gets shattered by Toga. It creates a suspense. It's not as easy as just I jumped in there and I threw it in there. The part that sucks is he just has Ashido's container. It could have been such a dramatic moment for her to throw her container to Red Riot, where he's like, shit, I have nothing. This plan failed. My friends are going to get hurt. She comes in with the assist. She doesn't have to be the biggest hero of the moment, but she would play a very significant part in it. You could connect the two characters more, especially to the reader. You place those two images together a lot or start connecting them more. They don't actually like physically look like they appear in, the, like in this chapter a lot outside of the chapter where he's like... 
tosses her and that's sort of it and it's like you had the ability to create a really compelling sequence here but instead it just kind of falls apart at the most important moment when when Kirishima shouldn't have any way to stop him now he lost his vial and what is he going to do he's now stuck here he may, he won't be able to protect his friends anymore and he needs a miracle and then someone can give him that miracle as opposed to just be like and in the other pocket ha ah! So it, it's not a bad chapter. It's nothing like that. But as you said, the context that, that my hero has always had where the cool characters that get big moments just are never the female characters in the series definitely hurts from this as well. So I, I definitely would be very disappointed if I was an Ashido fan to be like, I mean, yeah, I guess her arc's continuing to some way, but we've yet to really see a female character's arc have a payoff either. So I'd be a little concerned. Yeah. And also, at the same time where you mentioned that, there, there's the whole thing where the heroes are like, we had high hopes for you, Yayorozu. And it's like, I mean, she did mastermind this plan. Yes. This did all happen because of her. But in the moment where it happens, it doesn't feel like it was her moment. It and would... I think that it could have very it could have been done even more easily, honestly, than with Ashio. Because with Ashio, you have to figure out how she physically could have contributed to this. And with Yayorozu, all you really need is to just kind of have a visual as the canister goes into Gigantamaki's uh, mouth of, like, all the people who have contributed to it, like, their faces just flash there. You know, mm. you just do, like, one moment of visual to, you know, remind the reader, this happened because this person thought of it, this person carried the caster forward, this person delivered it, and then it's like, team effort made this happen. As yeah. opposed to, this chapter title is Red Riot, and Red Riot did everything in this chapter. And like, even even the moment of Yao Yorozu should just be visually portrayed to us in some way. You should give it a full-page spread or a two-page spread to show off, hey, remember that thing where she made, like, a gigantic cannon of herself, like, attached a giant cannon of herself to try to delay Class B during their fight, and it was considered a very cool moment for her? Show off that she just made, like, seven fucking artillery cannons and a big two-page spread or a big one-page spread to be like, look how fucking incredible this is, as opposed to, like, it's just a panel within several other things happening in a page. You're like, it, I, you perfectly can make the moment of Yaoyorozu as the mastermind of this plan look cool. You just visually have to do it. And then, of course, you know, we follow up all of, on all of this with a two-page spread where... It's just Shigaraki on the ground. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's it's a weird utilization of space that you have going on here. Uh, and it's one of those things where it's like, it's not bad, yeah. but you can see very easily the parts fitting together that would have made a much better version of this chapter. Yeah, it's it's a bummer, but it's not bad, you know, so. Well, let's move on, Chris. OK, to Spy Family, Mission 31. Uh, this is following up on uh, Nightfall. Uh, her, she is doing the mission now with uh, Twilight, with uh, with Lloyd. And uh, we now see that uh, she is has kind of fully come to terms with 
what she witnessed when she went to go and see the Forger family in the previous chapter, that he's changed now. He's no longer, you know, completely devoid of emotions. The being around the family has changed him. And according to her, this has diminished his efficacy as a spy. And she says some stuff that makes her seem very creepy here because she's like, you're a knife with a chipped blade. And when I see that, it makes my heart ache. This new, milder you is every bit as adorable. My heart throbs for you so much it hurts. Even if you become one of those toy knives as the blade retracts on contact, I will still yearn for you. She's like, okay. <laughs> Even if you are completely bedridden and a vegetable, I will still love you. Like, I mean, that's nice, but... Um. Yeah, I'm not into this so much. Kind of weird. Kind of, kind of odd. Uh, and of course, she still is like, fuck you, you're I'm going to take your place. So she's going on a mission, of course, with Lloyd, as that was the actual point of or rather what the point of her visit to the Forgers was supposed to be last time until she made it about hating your. And uh, so she goes over like, so there's this uh, artist named Cavi Campbell and his collection includes the painting The Lady in the Sun at re- valued at like a million dollars, basically. And that's the target of our mission. And she goes over like, oh, it's connected to this military colonel uh, and there it might be connected to some intelligence. Uh, We think that the painting may hold some clue as to the intelligence that we're seeking. It's being kept beneath Campbell's mansion, along with the rest of his collection. Security is really tight. So in order to get in there, we can't just like infiltrate. We have to have a cover. So we cut ahead to where there is a I'm sure it actually has happened at some point in history an underground tennis tournament yeah tennis island Nick it's like yeah you've heard of underground fighting stuff but you know what that's passe tennis it's it's disappointing to me that this isn't like extreme tennis or something like that yet that it's like if you have a point scored against you you get like electrocuted or something like that or the tennis ball is a bomb and if it scores a point it explodes on your side of the field or something like that i'm like just normal tennis underground all right i mean i guess but i feel like we're kind of wasting the potential for like a evil tennis tournament chris let me ask you a question okay how how much of Yu-Gi-Oh gx have you watched not a lot. Um, train. There's a train guy, right? Uh, there. The one guy has like cartoon vehicles, isn't that his deck? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Sh- that's Sh- that's AKA Cyrus. He 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 does some some of his cards are associated with trains. He has Toontown vehicles, basically. Yep, that's all I remember. Anyway, his brother actually, um, Rio or Zane. Uh, at one point, he gets involved in underground dueling. Okay. And in underground dueling, you wear bracelets and collars, which every time you take life point damage, they give you a shock. That's how it is. Because <laughs> makes it more entertaining, question mark. I want to see the dude who comes to that tournament and he just doesn't bring like a met- he brings like an alt win condition deck. So like he he goes with Exodia and the other guy's like I didn't feel anything. He's like yeah, you don't actually lose any life. There's no actual life point damage. So you don't get shocked. I'm like that's yeah, kind of not really in the spirit of things. He's like, do you want me to switch? <laughs> you want me to switch to my Ouija board deck or whatever the one that had that stupid final thing in? 
Final Countdown. Yeah. Is that still a thing? Do they still do that? Destiny board was the Ouija board. Final Countdown. Uh, there are also other Exodia win condition things, uh, including one that came out recently, which is like if you summon it and all the limbs of Exodia to your field, your opponent wins the duel. <laughs> there you go. That's kind of fun. He just plays that. And it's like the idea is supposed to be that you are supposed to somehow get them all on your opponent's field. I'm not sure how exactly you're supposed to do that, but OK. But what if he what if he just plays it was like, yeah, I let you win. <laughs> None of us have to get shocked. They're like, that's eh, kind of a waste of an underground duel tournament. Suck. <laughs> so. Um, yes, an underground tennis match is happening here. And then, uh, <laughs> so weird. So Lloyd and Nightfall come in and they are a doubles team in this tournament. And Lloyd's just like, was this really the only way that we could get in here? And I felt like it seemed like the best option to me. And she goes over the details as to why exactly. But she's like, yeah, I mean, the winner of the tournament gets to take an item of their choice from Campbell's collection. So, yeah, that's what we'll do it. And um, Twilight Lloyd is like, why? Why is there a tennis tournament? He likes the sport. Okay. Hey, you know what? It's all I really needed for this. It's all the logic I had to ask for. So they're there in their disguises as a mixed doubles team. And the announcer's like, huh, apparently these doubles partners are husband and wife. And of course, Chris, they're just like a wrestling audience. Because when a wrestling audience here is like, they're married? Fuck them! People, people have loved Boo! Boo! It's it was a... the most mystifying thing so many times to see, like weddings are usually like in wrestling designed to get an audience to be unhappy for some reason. Like Mike and Maria's uh, entire gimmick when they returned to WWE was that they were madly in love. And I guess it's supposed to be, I guess that they're so annoying with their PDA that you would want to boo them, but it just comes across like everybody's like, fuck, you for finding love and happiness you asshole boo like, come on the one, the one time in the time like that i've been watching wrestling uh where it made sense to me was when they had it with uh daniel bryan and aj because the idea was that it was super obvious that daniel bryan was just doing it because uh he wanted to either manipulate aj again or he was doing it so that he could have her committed to an insane asylum or something like that so it was like so it was like he's not being legitimate about this yeah. so fuck him he's he's being an asshole about this but then there's just like rusev and lana are getting married fuck him i hate them Boo! <laughs> oh, people i dislike shouldn't be allowed to find happiness in anything <laughs> if i'm not allowed to be happy with my wife then why should he <laughs> Bring the kids to the wrestling show. <laughs> We're going to teach them that marriage is a lie. So. Um, Nightfall, we actually get a little bit of insight into her because she's like, all oh, these people think that we're married, which is because it's just really driving home just how creepy this girl is in her white and her fan- fantasies and stuff. Because if you're the type of person who's like, got a one-sided affection for someone and you want others to think that you're a romantic couple and it's like 
just oh it's it's not it's not good don't do that it's 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 not good so they are matched up with former tennis pros and uh of course the spies kick their asses even though the tennis bros um have scars from playing tennis uh the way you do um, they played a game against Etchison, and the uh, the scaffolding fell on them and cut their face open. But the the point continued and did score against them. So it's just how it be sometimes. He he knocked a tennis ball into the audience, and it it exploded someone's glass bottle they were holding, and the shards large into the guy's face, uh, which should have counted as being out. But it actually then ricocheted off that glass bottle back in and then out. So it counted against them as well. That is legally in the rules right. as long as you don't read the rules. So that's exactly. how that works. I was going to say, it's like, that sounds like an entry on the list I would have read from. <laughs> <laughs> the number of times, though, that Etchison deliberately attacks him with a tennis ball when that was in the series portrayed as a bad thing to do. <laughs> but he's so hot, Nick. If you want to listen to Nick and Nick rant more about Prince of Tennis, uh, well, there's an entire episode we did a couple of years ago about that. So, yeah. All right. Uh, they they win the match. Uh, Lloyd and Nightfall are both very, very, very good at tennis because super spies are good at everything, basically. Uh, also, amusingly enough, their team is called Team Phony because, of course, it is. Um, but... Trouble is on the horizon because <laughs> there are other people interested in winning the tournament for nefarious means. And so there are people who are doping for this match. They're using a new agent called OSOR and it turns them into hulking behemoths, which probably makes them worse at tennis actually because i mean you need to be flexible in order to you know it's 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 like if you ever played bowser in a mario tennis game you know it's like yeah he's, he's so very big. powerful he's too big yeah. and he's so slow you know yeah you've got to constantly base be a baseliner essentially because that's the only way you'll ever catch up to the ball now and, uh, yeah it... i have an important tennis question for you nick when you play mario tennis and you're doing it in doubles is it supposed to be mm -hmm. one person in the front, one person in the back, or is it supposed to be the left side of the court and the right side of the court? It depends. Uh, generally speaking, you would have someone in the front court and someone in the back court. But, I mean, and this is a legit tennis tactic as well. It depends on the opponent you're facing. You may want to just have both people cover one side of the court and, and just do it that way. And it, that can help to eliminate confusion if you do that, because, of course, it's like, OK, the ball's over there, so I will cover over there uh, and all that kind of thing. Now, but, what so, what if my partner is playing Boo, who will frequently disappear when he goes for the ball because it's part of his <laughs> stupid animation? So you don't know if he got it or not. You really just kind of have to hope. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep asking. That at some the point. only version of Mario Tennis that I ever played was the Nintendo 64 version, and he doesn't disappear in that one. But Boo does have some awesome slices in that game. Curves the ball like nobody else. So. In the Wii U, he likes to disappear when he goes for the ball. He like does a little blink, and it's very obnoxious. That just seems like it would just make things harder on the person actually controlling them. It monumentally does, and for the, for the person if you're on their team, it's good times. Well, that's, kind of, that's the chapter of, uh, of Spy Family. So 
uh, a, a fun, silly little premise. And uh, it's nice to see, you know, more dealing with the new dynamic that is at play with uh, Nightfall's introduction. So, yeah, I don't think it's as strong as a chapter for Nightfall as the last chapter was. But, I, you know, no, this is no, like no two page spreads of her going, I love you. <laughs> but it is still a fun chapter. So good times. All right. So I think uh, next we're going to be talking about Kaiju number eight for the first time. Yes. Chapter six. No title because Kaiju number eight doesn't have chapter titles. Don't need something them. About the, something about the bi-weekly series. A lot of them don't. Hmm. So it's going to take me a little bit of getting used to before I remember anyone's names in this series. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Uh, our hero Cap- was attacked. Captain Dudeball. Yeah, it's like, pop, Captain Dudeball. Dude Let's just get that Captain out there. Dude ball. Captain Dudeball. Captain Dudeball. So, Captain Dudeball. <laughs> <laughs> the more we say that, the more I liked it. <laughs> um, he was attacked by one, uh, by, he was basically blindsided by one of the uh, monsters that they're training against. One of the lower level monsters that are part of this training exercise. Not training exercise, part of this entry level uh, exam. And uh, so it looks like he might have to bail out. Oh, no, because of the automatic shields that they've got on. And uh, fortunately, his ass gets saved by uh, Pigtail Girl, who Pigtail Prodigy Girl. Let's go with that. Yeah. So PPG Powerpuff Girl. She could be she could she could sort of be she sort of looks like Bubbles. She sort of has Bubbles look with a little bit of a, a fusion of Blossom and Buttercup. A little bit I, of a combination of them, yeah. And she's also got Blossom's uh, uh, bows. Uh, bows. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it works. She's yeah. like all the Powerpuff Girls in all some form. All together in one. Yep. Including Bunny Powerpuff, who sadly... R.I.P. <laughs> Gone too soon. <laughs> Bunny, does, it doesn't become obvious until the very end of this chapter. <laughs> she's Bunny. <laughs> Yeah, she's all the power of girls. It's like, oh, she could. I mean, she could have been to the fourth. So, oh, there she goes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It got dark. Zoomers everywhere are like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? <laughs> Watch Jackie Chan Adventures Island show to the power of girls and understand her references, damn it. We're not old. You're old. <laughs> so. Uh, Kikoru, uh, the Powerpuff Girl, is like, hey, no casualties or dropouts are allowed on my battlefield. And Captain's like, starts to be great- grateful at first, because he's like, oh, Kikoru, you saved me! And then she's just like, I'm gonna bring the test to an end. You just lie there in disgrace. <laughs> but she, like, says it with a smile and teehee, so it's like, it's one of those things that's, like, extra infuriating because she insults him and she smiles and laughs about it instead of sounding very obviously mocking. So she rushes off after the main kaiju. And this is where, basically, we get to see that Kikoru has... Um, she's playing with cheat codes, basically, that give her insta-gib bullets. She's blowing up kaiju. She's racing around. She's also got auto-aim turned on. Uh, as she's like, there, there's literally a moment to skip ahead a little bit and we'll come back to it later where she takes cover behind a Jeep, shoots over the hood, ducks under it and shoots under the, uh, shoots between the tires 
and then vaults over and shoots while she's sliding over the roof in like the span of two seconds. So she is very, very, very good at Mm -hmm. this. She's very good at playing Gears of War and other take cover behind uh, behind various city debris uh, shooter games. Um, the proctor, the bullhead uh, proctor guy who found Kafka amusing before, uh, is like, "Hey, you, you, your vitals are abnormal and you're suffering from fractures. You might have, have internal damage, so I'm going to recommend that you drop out." And Kafka's b- before I can even finish saying that says, "Let me keep going." I, I've got to do this. And he says, look, I know that this sounds pathetic and I, especially for someone of my age, but I've got to give this a shot and I'm not going to give up. And then, you know, gets up and he's like, see, I, I can stand up. <laughs> uh, he tells Ichikawa, Hey, come on, you know, we promised, right. You know, that, that, you know, you're not obligated to look after me if something happens. So you just keep on pressing ahead. But instead, Ichikawa holds his hand out to, to uh, Kafka and says, Hey, I'm going to back you up. So let's do what we can. And Kafka thinks back to how Ichikawa came back to protect him when they were attacked by the kaiju in the first chapter. He's like, hmm, I guess that's just how you're wired. So he's a good guy. So <laughs> they, if they had more people with them, they would have pulled off the Frankie Formation 5. But yeah. uh, they have to settle for just uh, Kafka riding around on Ichikawa's shoulders. And he drops a sweet Captain Planet reference, too. <laughs> While he's at it. <laughs> so, he's, so he's like, I'll leave movement to you while I, while I shoot. And so they they rush forward. Um, the proctor is like, can we just pass them just for that? That's so great. <laughs> but uh, before they can even really do anything, because Ichikawa tries to race forward as uh, Kafka gets his weapons ready. But uh, Kikaru just finishes the exam. She jumps in towards the big kaiju vaults into the air and makes it open up its mouth to try and catch her. And she just blasts it through its mouth and makes it burst open from the inside. And that's it. The, 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 the test is over. So Kafka didn't really get to stand out much other than the stuff that he and Ichikawa did in the previous chapter. But we get word from, you know, discussion among the among the proctor and everyone else connected to the exam that there are no dropouts because nobody was forced to activate their shield belt uh, because Kikaru specifically finished the test so quickly. So Mm -hmm. nothing was able to happen because she finished off all of the uh, the low level kaiju, the the, uh, Honju. Um, They bring up that Kikoru is Commander Shinomiya's daughter and that she will, without a doubt, be the linchpin of the defense force in the future. The light of hope that this country needs. And Kikoru looks up to the sky and she says, I did it all perfectly, right, daddy? So this guy's dead. But so she starts to head back and she's like, I'm going to go make that Kafka guy look foolish again, yet again, because she's done it three times now already. But. From the smoke generated by the destruction of the Honju, a note, a figure emerges and they appear to be a man-sized kaiju similar to Kafka when he transforms, except that they've got this very bizarrely shaped head with like two horizontal lines at the top. And this new kaiju 
flicks a finger forward as Kikaru is just recognizing is like this this thing wasn't on the neutralization list and a hole appears in her heart. That's the end of the chapter. <laughs> I'm sure she's fine. What are we doing? Come on, she's fine. She's she was on the cover and promotional material and stuff, so she probably uh, is. She's fine. But she was, it was definitely a big moment where I finished reading the chapter. Like, oh, geez. So. <laughs> uh, it's a good chapter. I was kind of wondering how this little exercise would go, but I kind of like that it's a way to show off her as opposed to like, oh, let's manufacture a way for this event to go around that uh, Kafka can look really cool. Instead, you presume he's going to have to do something to stop this thing here. That isn't even part of the test exam or anything like that. Just this outside mm. element. It's uh, defying expectations. Yes, mm. you expect that the hero at the very first leg of the journey is going to, you know, find a way to succeed. And uh, as far as we know, Kafka's not doing great right now because you know, the, fir- the first leg of the exam, which I've shown before, was like running a, a few miles and he was in the lower part of the pack. And he didn't really get to stand out this time. So there's, I think there's one leg of the exam left. Uh, I think it was, we were told it was three legs. Um, but uh, yeah, this is definitely a, a case of, well, something's going to have to happen here because there's this seemingly really powerful monster that is disrupting the exam. They're going to have to deal with that. So we shall see. Indeed. All right. So there is no Eden Zero this week. There was no chapter released on Crunchyroll, so we'll, we'll right. not be having one of those. In lieu of that, real quick, I just want to mention that a series did end a jump this week. That is My Tama Security Spirit Busters. Uh, we did talk about it way back when it started. We did the three mm-hmm. chapters. We're not a big fan. It was a lot of the same kind of gag. Uh, but I've mentioned recently, I've gone through, I've read all the series that are currently running a jump. And uh, that was one I read, and that was one of the biggest surprises that I had. That was actually a, vent- a series that became really, really funny, especially once the main female lead stopped being, like, the straight man reacting to everything. And they started to actually kind of make jokes about the fact that she's just kind of a weirdo, too. Uh, it was a, a really fun series. It has maybe one of my favorite gags ever, that they have to play a baseball game, and they don't have enough spirits. So one spirit shows up who's just Babe Ruth, and all he says is, I'm Babe! And they're like, I don't know if this is Babe Ruth. And then he doesn't do anything. But then he keeps showing up in the series, and all he ever says is, I'm Babe! But then he has a really cool moment where like a Pokemon catching bad guys trying to catch all their spirits, and he shows up, he's like, I'll stop these guys, because I'm Babe! And it doesn't really go anywhere, but it's really, really funny. So if you're interested, go check that out because it had a very sweet little ending. And uh, I mentioned last week how the last chapter was a really weird penultimate chapter. Well, it turns out that was just a really weird penultimate chapter. I mean, you talking about that Babe Ruth joke does make it sound pretty good. So <laughs> I don't know why it's so dumb, but it makes me laugh every time it happens. All right. Chainsaw Man. Chapter 80, a dog's dog's feelings. We get confirmation that Aki dead. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we just kind of get a little bit of the, oh yeah, this is some of the stuff that happens when people die that we don't see from a lot of manga, uh, which is that Aki had some money put away and he actually, you know, left a will. And in the will... He left half to Denji 
and the other half to Jimeno's family, which made me go, oh, <laughs> because like, that's really, yeah, he would do that, wouldn't he? Um, so we just kind of have Denji saying, you know, recapping, you know, what he and Power have kind of been up to in the time since Aki died. Presumably, like a couple of weeks have passed, and if not even months, potentially. But he's like, yeah, I mean, I rented out a place. It's not very big, but it's got a nice view. We we picked out on good food. I tried some stuff. We bought a bunch of video games. We're just playing them nonstop anytime we weren't working. And when we got bored of that, we watched movies. And uh, then he goes out to get some ice cream. Uh, he's like, hey, do you want me to get you anything? Power's like, a rice ball with meat. Okay, thank you, All Power. Right. Sounds pretty good. So they're just kind of like, seemingly trying to keep themselves distracted basically with what they're doing right now. And, uh, he goes down to the convenience store, but he stops on a bench on his way home and he eats his ice cream. He looks down, he sees on the uh, popsicle stick. He's like, Oh, he want a free, uh, ice cream from that. Cool. But then he's just kind of sitting there looking at the, uh, popsicle stick and he's just like, I killed Aki. That, sh- that, that page hits so hard. And uh, then he vomits up his ice cream. Um, so that's cool. And uh, he just, you know, reflects like, you know, God, I, every waking moment, my head is all jumbled up. No matter what I watch, no matter what I think about, it just goes to crap. Good food doesn't taste good anymore. My brain has turned to crap. And he kind of lies back on the bench and he lets his head droop over the side and he just says Pochita's name. And then Makima shows up and she is looking, I think, more casual than she has ever been, except even on their date when they went out. I think she dressed a little bit nicer than this because she's like in a hoodie and a T-shirt practically. So she's like, yeah, killed that gun devil. Gonna celebrate. (laughs) Be in my sweatpants all day. Hell yeah. So. um, <laughs> This is so. It's so like he's so vulnerable right now because he's just like Ms. Makima. I want a free ice cream. <laughs> poor boy. She's like, oh, your hands are cool. He's like, yeah, but that's not going to kill me. Plus free ice cream. <laughs> I want an ice cream. <laughs> I want ice cream. So Makima says, hey, you know, when you're cold physically, you end up feeling down emotionally. And then he's like, uh-huh. So she has him stand up and he just and he goes, woof, while he stands up. And she's like, yeah, good boy. Good boy. Come over to my place. We'll drink some warm tea together. And so he follows her and he's like, it's weird because like he's like cartoonishly depressed because everywhere he goes, he's got like the shaggy posture going on where he's just slumped forward with his arms hanging out in front of him and stuff. But at the same time, you know, it's like, yeah, of course he's depressed. He killed one of his only two friends in the world. <laughs> so Makima stays at a very fancy apartment. Um, she has two floors of this building. So it's an odd living situation, I think. But she's got plenty of space, basically. And uh, 
she she checks with him beforehand like oh by the way before we go inside are you okay with dogs and i think he nods but he honestly his head might have just drooped forward in depression but she takes it as an affirmative i guess they come in through the door and she's got a lot of dogs mostly huskies big um, dogs big old big old pooches and immediately they start looking at her face. They look at Denji's face. And uh, she's like, look, yes, it's a new person. Yeah, that's Denji. Can you tell him I rough you? Can you tell him I rough you? It's like, she's evil, Chris. I'm telling you. <laughs> had my I doubts. Whole- Why would someone with dogs be evil? Yeah, she's, she's, she's awful. It's, I... Also, that the, the expressions that some of these dogs are making terrify me. <laughs> look. I think Fujimoto is a very talented artist. I do not think he has the ability to draw an animal that does not look menacing. I love Meowie. There is not a panel in the world where Meowie does not look like Meowie is plotting something. Well, that's fine. Oh, he's a cat. That is true. That is a cat's general way of doing it. But dogs look very terrifying when it looks like there's something going on up there. This big pa- This big panel where all of the dogs show up. There's one where like a dog is kind of like trying to butt his way through past another dog. That dog looks cute. The one at the very bottom with the lit up eyes, the sparkly eyes. Okay, that's fine. But the one like directly to its right, the one that has the biggest head in the frame. Oh my God, it's going to eat me. Um, And the dog that's on the far left, it's staring into my soul, Chris. It's looking at me. It seems Did I make you. a contract with Makima and I just forgot? Is that what happened, Chris? Because well, you were ordered to, Nick. This makes me feel like I've done something, and there is a chain around my neck leading directly to this dog. And this dog knows that it owns me, and it wants me to know that right now. And it's, I don't know why. It's gone for so long with this arrangement without alerting me to its presence, but it wants me to know now. It's either that or you just discovered a new kink you have, so... It's not a kink. (laughs) (laughs) I am... I'm going concave right now (laughs) from how terrified I am. Anyway, Denji's gonna have tea. So Makima asks him what kind of tea he wants. So Denji's like, the one that tastes best. And Makima brings out some some tea. And she's like, and I'm, I, I brought some tiramisu too. I made it myself. And Denji is like, I don't know what tiramisu is, of course. Um, but uh, then one of the dogs barks. And Makima's like, I wasn't calling for you, silly. And Denji's like, what? And she says, yeah, this dog's name is tiramisu. And then she speaks on the dog's behalf, and the dog is like, I'm definitely actually a dog. I'm not a dog's face stretched over a body bag. <laughs> it's, it's all proportionally wrong. Um, but yeah, it seems as though she has named the dogs after various sweets, which so, you know, theming. That's nice. I don't know, Chris. I got the impression as I was reading this chapter after a certain point. Are these dogs actually people with their souls put in the bodies of dogs? Because 
It would not shock me, or she eats the dogs, or something. Look, it's not going to turn out, I feel like, that she's just a normal person. Like, she's like, well, on one side of the coin, I'm like this evil person who's willing to go to any lengths to kind of get what I want and become all powerful. But on the other hand, dogs are pretty sweet. Can't, I can't fault that. Love them little fluffers. So, so rub that belly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's going to be something fucking twisted and shitty coming up in the next chapter or two. It's one of those things where, like, because we did a, a WMR Lives relatively recently uh, where we talked about the chapter where they go on their date and we and uh, how, you know, Makima had those weird reactions to the movies and they happened to kind of line up with with Denji's. And it was one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, knowing what we know now about Makima, hmm, she makes you kind of, re, you know, reinterpret that uh, what happened in that chapter. Yeah. So now anytime that Makima does something seemingly innocent, it's like, what is actually going on right now with you? What are you doing? Do you eat these pe- things? Do you, do, do you have them fuck your enemies? Like, or, or do you what? It, or is it literally just like, I like dogs because they're obedient. Would, and it's up, it matches up with her thing. But it's still like you can't help but read into it in the way that it's just like there's something nefarious at foot here. Denji feels a little bit better. Makima checks that his hands now feel warmer. Um, but he, And he's like, my brain feels a little better because of you. So she kind of pats him on the head. And she's like, yeah, you've been through, through so much. And you've done a good job surviving. You're a very good boy, Denji. And then she's like, eh. and then he kind of just like starts to cry too. Um, so he's having a little bit of an emotional breakthrough here. Um, but he's like, no, I'm not crying. I'm not, man, I'm just, you know, the dogs comfort him. And so he actually laughs while they're licking his face. And then Makima says, Denji, you saved me. So do you remember our pro- promise? And Denji's clearly needs to be reminded of this. So Makima says, tell me the wish you want me to grant. And Denji is struck by this for a moment. So he stops and he thinks. And he looks down at the dog while planet Earth spins in the background because it's time for a news update. Um, I have no idea why the Earth is there seven times but it is so there we go i'm sure it's a piece of symbolism i'm not smart enough to get but maybe we'll a find different out. continent is supposed to be in focus each time i don't know there's a globe there as he stares into the dog's eyes and then he looks at her and he says a dog i want to be your dog well okay Guess we'll find out what that entails soon. Well, I guess we're going to find out. This is a chapter. This is quite it's the weird. chapter. I don't... There's a really sad moment early on, and then I feel like I really can't evaluate this chapter because I don't know how to digest it yet. I feel like this is me watching the first, like, 30 minutes of Tusk and being, like, asked to, like, talk about it. You're like, I mean, it's okay so far. But I feel like something horrifying is about to happen very soon. <laughs> so I don't really know right now. And then it did. Yeah. Nick, 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 Nick. Yes. Let's talk about it. Best series of jump this week. Are you sure about that? Bone collection. Bone collection. Bone collection. 
is ready. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm just thinking about what's going to happen about seven pages in. What do you mean? It's a perfectly normal transition all the way throughout this chapter. This chapter was clearly originally meant to be like four chapters or something like that. So we begin chapter 14. I want to get married with the QB talking to, I believe, Akifuyu and Shishino uh, about his history and stuff, wanting to get his tail back and stuff like that. We see that he has stopped reaching into Runa's chest to get his tail back because I don't know. Maybe he just wanted to smoke. Maybe that's it. Maybe he has a problem and, you know, sometimes when you've got a really bad addiction, there are things that you know are important and you just you just can't help yourself. You just stop and you go back to your addiction. Mm-hmm. And in cases like that, guys, you've got to recognize what it's doing to you and you need to get help. You may think it's like, no, I can quit anytime I want. But you know what? If something important is happening and you're still turning to that crutch, then you you need to get help about it. And it doesn't even necessarily need to be a drug thing. It can be anything. Anything can be an addiction. So, you know, take stock of what's going on in your life. If you are about to regain your ultimate power and by pulling it out of this girl that you've kidnapped and you went through a lot of trouble to kidnap her you killed so many people and you set up this whole tower of defenses and stuff like that well just because you know your four generals got killed mostly off screen doesn't mean you can just say like you know fuck this and then say you take a smoke break you know there's important things going on anyway he fights off akifuyu and shishino uh he, he kicks their asses and he just and he's just like i'm on a different level than you guys and that's it. <laughs> They're like, but we're we're two of the Exorcist Kings. Blah! <laughs> he just immerses them in fire, and that's it. And he's like, we're finally alone, kid. You were alone before. Um, and then she glares at him, so he smacks her across the face because he's evil. Um, he, I guess, actually did get his tail back, but it's really hard to count the tails on his body because the artwork in the series is not great, so it's really hard to tell details of that sort. Maybe that's why he could actually kick the general's asses. Anyway, so then Runa's just like, they're coming. My brother and his friends are coming. And they come. And... Okay. So, <laughs> it's the moment where this happens, and I'm really had to sit there and I'm like, did I understand what this series was before? I really, I don't remember it quite being like this. I guess a little bit. I mean, he did pull a switch out of her before, but I don't remember it quite like. So there's a card in Yu-Gi-Oh called the Kuro Rider. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a Skull Rider. So, and I think that that's actually based on something, possibly. But uh, that's basically what's going on here: is uh, they bone that they that uh, Kazami is using right now uh, is the skull, which takes which has the weapon form Modern Beagle, which is a giant motorcycle that comes crashing through the window astride the motorcycle of course are kazami and pyra 
and uh, uh, San. That's not the weird part. The weird part is that in addition to riding around on this motorcycle, all of them have sunglasses, leather jackets, and mohawks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're not wrong. Everything's correct. Everything's factual that you just said. And, 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 and. Sun and Kazami have goatees now. Uh huh. And. San has a new tattoo. Well, there's that too. He's got he's got he's got the Manji symbol, the, the you know the Bon from Bonkai. Yeah. And there had to be an editor's note put in the chapters like it's not a swastika, it's not a swastika. <laughs> so, so the bike to... magically transforms your attire, your clothing, or your attire, your hair, your facial hair, and can give you tattoos, or it happened off screen. I'm not sure which ha- which is which. No, Chris, it doesn't, because we see when they dismount from the bike that all of their costume falls off. We see the the, the mohawks and the sunglasses pop off. So what that means, Chris, is that they went to the trouble of getting off of this island, going to the store, getting leather jackets and spiked collars and sunglasses and boots. Then they went to the stylist and they got their hair done in mohawks. And then they came back to the island. And then they went to save Runa. <laughs> so... Kazami then pulls out another bone because we're really going to end the series in like neck in two weeks, basically. And so Kazami's got the shoulder blades, which are a pair of guns with both of which have two barrels and he shoots them and something happens. I assume what happens is that the QB's fire just incinerates the bullets so immediately, all three of them get off of the bike and are just like, damn it, I thought our Seikima 2 entrance would be cool. That was too simplistic and totally cryptic. And so basically, they fully admit we looked cool for no reason. Fire comes towards them. And Pyra's like, you suck, QB. But then... Kazami pulls out another bone, the left clavicle, Dyson. So basically, he has Luigi's uh, vacuum cleaner from Luigi's mansion. He sucks in the QB's flames, which means he sucks in the QB. Oh, God, I forgot about this. Can we also just note, I don't think there's a, I don't think vacuum, like, Dyson's a brand. It's not like a type of vacuum, per se. So... They, is it a specific reference to Dyson vacuums, or am I confused? Because I, I I thought Dyson's a company. I don't care. I don't care. So, okay. they've sucked QB into 
the vacuum cleaner. And so they're like, cool. We've got him inside of the vacuum cleaner's filter. Now remove it. And Kazami's like, oh, can I just throw it out? Okay. And he just throws it out the window. And it falls off the tower. And they're like, all right, we won. And the QB shoots out of the filter and comes back. And he's like, how fucking dare you do that? Why You put me in a vacuum filter. So then they're like, okay, get him to chill. And so they use another bone, the, the right third tibia, absorbent hands. And so they freeze him this way. And then Pyra kicks the frozen QB and shatters him into a bunch of pieces. And Pyra's like, now we're going to not repeat the mistake we just made. We're going to pick the, him up and throw him outside again. And so they're like, everyone has to pick up five fragments before we can go home. So they do. But then QB comes back from one of the fragments that they didn't throw away. And fire goes everywhere. And Kazami has to like use his body as a shield to protect people. And Kazami's like, I only picked up four fragments. And everyone else is like, oh, I, I only picked up four too. Because this is a gag series now, Chris. It's, it's very... always been it's always so funny. Always with the jokes. So the QB. <sighs> Nick, come on. You only got like six pages left. Oh, my you God. You got to pace like, yourself. It's like I'm in the ankle lock. <laughs> and I'm like three inches <sighs> from the ropes. <sighs> I literally just like extend my finger out a little bit. I'll reach the ropes, but it hurts so much, and I want to tap so bad. <laughs> yeah, watch out. They're going to pull you back. Uh, so, for some reason, and I have to say that not because it doesn't make logical sense to ask this question. I have to say that because we've not spent nearly enough time with the QB to get an understanding of his actual character. He is obsessed with why Pyra has decided to side with the humans. And he's like, tell me why you're with them. And Pyra's like, because I love them. And she's doing like the whole, oh gosh, what's that statue called? I forget. This, the statue with, with Mary holding Jesus's corpse. It's, uh, she's, she's doing that yeah. with Kasami because Kasami's all burnt up now. And she's like, I love the human world. It's full of fun things. And not all humans hate yokai. There are even idiots who put their lives on the line to protect yokai. And I've truly fallen in love. And she takes Kazami's hand and puts it into her chest so that she can, he can pull out another bone. And she says, I'll show you my dream to become human and marry Kazami. And the bone that has been pulled out is the sternum, which creates bone wedding. So this massive skeletal priest appears as Pyra unleashes her Bankai. Uh, and the skeletal priest grabs the QB and then starts introducing everyone because they're all part of the wedding. And I will admit that there is one part of this chapter that I did find perfect because... The, the skeletal priest introduces all the people in their various roles for this wedding. And he's like, 
Akifuya Abe is the stupid gorilla. She's here. Reno Tendo is here, and Reno's just like, why am I here, basically? <laughs> and she's just called air. You're just something that's present. <laughs> um, best The best friends are introduced for this, which are Bei-chan and Runa. And then <laughs> all the other guests are just others, <laughs> which consists of Sun Shishino and the glasses girl president who is introduced at the start of this arc and the importance of her of her introduction was never explained <laughs> here to then untold QB uh, is introduced as being on death row and he says I can't use my flame so we know he can't use his flame Kazami is there and he is in, is in a suit and he's, as he is the groom and Pyra is introduced as the bride, and she is in a wedding dress. She is awaiting Kazami at the altar. She turns to look at him, and her hair is almost entirely black now, as she is basically on the verge of becoming fully human, or at least in this quote-unquote dream, she is human, because she wants to marry Kazami. Uh, so everyone's very confused by this, as the chapter ends. Um, I will admit... If we had gotten to see more Bone Bankais, this would have probably been a better series overall because it's just so ridiculous to see this happening. Most of this chapter is insanely stupid, and I'm glad this series is ending. What? But Nick, what about Boo Collection and... Uh, your, <laughs> your stupid dream of annoying me with puns. Which you That's the same away. thing, Mike. It's the same thing my guidance counselor told me. Fuck your dreams. <laughs> I hope that they were just as specific as when I said your dream of annoying me with puns. <laughs> my, my dream back then was also that Bone Collection would go on so I could say Boone Collection to them at some point. This chapter was dumb. <laughs> I hate this series, but the bone wedding is kind of funny. <laughs> Just because it's like, and you guys are here too. <laughs> well, there's a milk boy there. Oh, that's right. He's the, he's a better friend than Reno. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, Nick, why don't we move on to some better recencies well actually let me say let's move on to the only one of the series in like the new series section that might be sticking around for more than a month <sighs> okay what are we on right now magu-chan god of destruction god of destruction so uh <laughs> this chapter is about the introduction of the holy knight izuma kisaragi it's chapter seven basically Imagine he's a Chuni, except that he is also literally descended from Holy Knights and is out to do, to exterminate the gods of destruction. And he's got two-toned hair, and he wears a black jacket, and he's got a Quincy cross, basically, that he summons a sword from. And uh, Ruru, <clears throat> Ruru keeps on describing to him as that hottie. So there you go. That's her type, I guess. All the girls think Sasuke is hot. So, um, 
this guy is stupid and I kind of love him because he's just like, where is the demon? Where is he? And he's just like searching through cornfields, looking in the fucking ATM machine or mailbox, whatever the hell that is. And then he like spots a well. He's like, is he in here? And just jumps into it. <laughs> so he is looking for the gods of destruction. Magumanuku, of course, pops out of Ruru's bag at one point. He's like, I'm going to eat this food if we don't get home fast. And for some reason, somehow, this descendant of Holy Knights does not see this tentacled, one-eyed monstrosity and think, oh, the monster I'm here to get. He's like, what is this animal? As Magu is going, I am an eternal being. And he's just it's not connecting the dots. And he's just like, how curious to see a talking pet. How popular are they in this country? He's so stupid. <laughs> so, also there's a moment as uh, as um, Izuma is trying to get information from Rue where Magu tries to catch a butterfly like, like he's a cat or something. And uh, also he gives Rue a pigeon? I don't know. He gives her a pigeon. <laughs> Putaku shows up, of course, eventually. The pigeon is pecking at Magu's head, and he doesn't seem to care. Um, now, Putaku shows up uh, along with Ren, and uh, Naputaku is being all, you know, stupid and pathetic. He's, he gets pissed off at Magu, and so he's like, I'm going to use my frenzy drawer on you! But at that moment, Izuma comes crashing out of the sky and stomps on him. And he's like, I felt the waves of chaotic energy. A wicked god is near. Where is he? And Magu's like, he, he's under your foot. And so he's like, now put a man. When did you get under my foot? That's why I couldn't find you. You've taken a small form to trick me. And they're like, who is this person? Now Putsuku gets ready to use his frenzied roar on the guy. And Izuma just summons his holy sword and <laughs> is like what's going on and he uses basically Inuyasha's wind scar to strike Naputuku down and everyone reacts in shock as a wave of energy blasts him and leaves him a smoke in a smoking heap and he's like I am Izuma Kisaragi he who kills gods then he spots Magu Magu introduces himself properly as Magu Manuaku the guy's like, I must strike you down. You are mankind's enemy. Ruru tries to stop him. He doesn't listen. He uses what is actually Inuyasha's wind scar and cuts Magu in half. And then he immediately just pushes himself back together. He's like, yeah, I'm fine. I am a god. I am I'm mortal. You, you can't kill me. So then it all comes down to this moment where Izuma is getting ready to continue their fight. And the police arrive because they're like, we heard that there was someone running around harassing wildlife, swinging a sword around. And are you the one who damaged that wall in the road? Yeah, I, I used my gale slash. Yeah, we need you to come with us to ask us questions. <laughs> and they just escort him into a police car and drive off. And that's it's all it. done. <laughs> so, that's yeah, it. Love it. I love Izuma. He's, he's great. He's so stupid. So There you go. Chris, it's the best chapter of the week. <laughs> I am so happy. <laughs> Not only because this chapter was amazing, 
But because so many people have come over to my line of thinking now, yourself included. I, I was like, I kind of get it, but until this chapter, I was just like, yeah, no, this is exactly what Nick said when he said this is going to be the dumbest science fiction nonsense story you're ever going to see. And you know what? I'm 100% on board. Let's get as dumb as possible before this shit ends. Because <laughs> it's going to end. Trust me, Very we are true. seeing the series gone probably before 16 chapters. Chapter 12, Unfinished World. Yep. So what unfolds is something that I think could have actually been good if everything leading up to it had worked. And it didn't. There were some missteps along the way, which became more numerous over time. And so instead, what we get is something that is a bunch of weird nonsense, which is either infuriatingly bad or hilariously bad, depending on how you look at it. Tepe is in a world where it is just a void and there is an open blank book that serves as the only land that surrounds them. And there is a couple of chairs, which are also lampposts. And he is sitting in one of the lampposts. And Mirai the robot is sitting in the other. <laughs> and Mirai the robot, a.k.a. the author avatar, starts talking to Tepe. And he says, we are in the blank page of the story. <laughs> I didn't really know what was going to happen. I had to wrap some things up. So, hey, uh, hello. Um, I need you to do some things, buddy. So Tepe starts critiquing the story that he's been a part of for the past 11 chapters. And Mirai the robot's like, no, no, see, that's not a plot hole because I tried that already. No, there was no way to prevent her from not working herself to death. There was literally no possible way. He even like kind of implies that he got her committed at some point, and she still found a way to draw manga to the point of dying from exhaustion. <laughs> Why did you just tell me that she would die of exhaustion and I could have done something to save her? And Mirai's like, no, I tried that. <laughs> I, I definitely tried that. I did it. I tried everything. The only thing that was left was to beat her manga with your manga. That was the only way. You're like, I don't... You could have just told people she would have died for making her manga. Probably it was a better way than this. So Mirai, a.k.a. the Ghost of Christmas Present, takes Tepe to uh, Aino's apartment where she has collapsed. I guess it's actually in the past because... There's nobody in the apartment and her body hasn't been moved. So it would have been when she actually collapsed and not when people found her. Uh, and yeah, Mirai the robot says, I couldn't stop this from happening because she was chasing her dream. She was completely at the mercy of her all consuming dream to draw manga that all of humanity can enjoy. When someone's chasing their true dream, the flames of that passion cannot be extinguished by anything. Freedom of the heart is one thing that no one can take away. And then Mirai the robot turns outside of this, the panel and points to it and says, that's right, One Piece is bad because it gives people dreams. <laughs> and she says, like, in every timeline, she would follow her dream to self-destruction. That left destroying her dream itself as the only option to save her. And Tepe's like, what you talking about, Mirai? 
And Mirai says, that is the plot of this story. Tepe Sasaki, you were the villain I cast to destroy the dreams of the protagonist Itsuki Aino and the hero who would save her. My plan was to give you White Knight, the great masterpiece that she had been working on, so that you would put it out into the world first. This would crush her and make her give up on her dream! <laughs> I really want to see the alternate timelines that happen where he's like, I tried everything and she always dies. I tried having someone go up and say, stop! And she didn't! And then she died! And then there was another timeline where I had someone come in and hide all of her pens, but she bought a new one! And then she died! And then I had someone break in and unscrew the screws on the back of her chair, but then she sat in it trying to work and broke her head and died! She always dies! I'm going to read all of Tepe's lines if I read any of them in the voice of Bill Murray, because clearly this is like a really weird version of Groundhog Day now. <laughs> and Bill Murray's voice is inappropriate for Mirai the, ro- the insane robot. <laughs> so she's like, so she's still going to give up on her dream when that happened. So then I texted you. I was like, who this? And then I was like, destroy her dream by beating her with anima. Um this seems like it was the least thought out of all of his plans, though, considering it was not his original plan in this timeline. So I guess that's why there was some shaky logic to it. So she's like, I wanted you to beat her to make it clear she couldn't beat you. And Tepe's like, but I suck it, Mark. <laughs> and Tepe is like, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me about... I can't do a Bill Murray, never mind. <laughs> because, so... Mirai's like, if I told you that, it would have only confused you. He was... His refrigerator was talking to him! <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I didn't want to scare you. <laughs> As your lightning refrigerator shoots out like pixels of dirt to create messages. The, the confusion he actually refers to is saying, like... If I had told you the whole story, it would have made you question whether whether it was better to die than have one's dreams crushed. Mate, this is the guy who was totally cool with just ripping off this manga, no questions asked. I think that you should have had a little more faith in him. So, but basically, Mariah's like, my mission is to protect Aino, no matter what. I want her to live even if her dreams are broken. That's how a parent feels. And Tepe's like, parent, ignore that! Don't look at that man behind the curtain! So he's like, yeah, it didn't work because she's really talented and you suck at manga. So anyway. But then Mirai takes Tepe to a different time. To when his parents' house. And he says, see, in the original timeline, lightning never struck your building." You went on to have a regular job, but you never stopped drawing manga. Eight years after that point, you got a one-shot into Weekly Shonen Jump. After reading that one-shot, Itsuki Aino conquered her fears and made the decision to bring in the White Knight storyboards she'd been saving for years. You didn't take her statement seriously, but she was correct. At your most basic level, you and she are two of a kind. This, I think, is the only part of this chapter that actually works. Because it's like, okay, this establishes a connection between the two characters. It explains why Tepe was called upon in this instance. And also, it's a neat, nice little way of explaining 
why Ino's debut didn't come until 10 years after the present, which he already had all this talent. And in the same sense of what happened in this timeline, Tepe getting published ended up drawing her out of her shell to go and do something and get involved in the modern professional world. So it's a nice parallel there. Uh-huh. So Mirai is like, if I was going to send White Knight to anyone, you were the best choice. But it didn't work. And I don't have much battery power left. You're like, what battery power? Aren't you an omnipotent god? What? Uh, what what's going on? Oh, if only Time Paris Ghost Rider would go on for more than 16 chapters, then I could explain to you why my battery runs out. I, I wish it could fucking somehow get super, like, I, I've met this fucking genie, and he's like, you could do anything. I'm like, uh, I don't want anything rewritten. I just want Ghost like every person in Japan feels compelled to go to buy a copy of Time Paradox Ghost Rider so they make it continue and just see him be like, Actually, I got struck by lightning and now I'm supercharged. We can go on all sorts of time traveling adventures. <laughs> oh, God. So Mirai says, I'm going to return us to five days before her death. And then I will stop all time. See, my battery's almost out, but I can stop all time forever. That's, that's how time travel works. That's like a little bit of power. A large amount of power is rearranging the magnets on your refrigerator. I did it like four or five times just to <laughs> fuck with you. I'm a bad robot god, so I need you to kind of help me out here with the end. Mirai explains this judgment by saying, if Ido's going to die, no matter what, then I'm just going to stop time while she's alive so that she'll live forever. And Tepe's like, well, but then she'll be as good as dead. And, T- and Mirai's like, no, she won't. <laughs> um, and he's like, if I, if the end of the story is her death, I choose to leave the story unfinished in the chapter before she dies. Cool. All right. We're going to end this on chapter nine now, guys. Bye. <laughs> so, you know, for reals, there's been points where I've considered doing that, where I've, like, watched a movie and I know my favorite character dies. And I'm like, if I just stopped it here, they still are alive. And you know what? Anything could have happened. So, maybe this robot's on to something. I don't know if I do it on a, a cosmic reality warping way, but, you know, I get it. I think it's kind of weird that Ayano is your favorite character in all of reality, but, you know, I, I guess. Hairpin's kind of cool. I'm guessing you've never seen the original Herbie the Love Bug movie. <laughs> no. Should I have? No. But, okay. Well, I mean, maybe. But there is this very racist stereotype character um, because, like, for the last race, they need a sponsor. And it turns out there's a car dealership owned by this, I believe, Japanese man. Um, and he's very stereotypical. And there's, you know, like, you know, the, you know, Ching Chong music basically plays, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times when he's around. Yeah, that happens. But he's like, actually, he might be Chinese. But he says, like, you know, ancient Asians, Asian saying, when you have read the last page, close the book. And that is actually what this makes me think of, where, just, where he's just like, no, I'm not going to do that. It's, it's, you know, one of those things where, you know, refusing to accept it just kind of, you know, is in defiance of reality in a pointless way. You can't actually change what's going to happen. But he's like, no, I'm going to stop time. So, Also, Mirai the robot says, I have no human heart, only a duty to protect Itsugiano. But you said you were his parent. Never mind. Uh. So 
Mirai says basically like, I'll give you the opportunity to choose your the direction of your story because you've suffered through all of this. First, you can turn back from here and live in a world where she is dead. Your second option is to lose your memory and return to the timeline where Lining did not strike your house and live on without ever meeting Itsuki. So Tepe thinks for this for a second. Then he's like, well, what about this? <laughs> Explaining stuff off, off panel. And Mirai is like, I guess that could be possible. I've never tested it, and I don't know how well it will work. But I guess it could happen. I mean, you might die the moment we put into practice. And even if it works, I would assume your mind will break down first. And Tebe's like, dude, I'm so high right now. I mean, I'm talking to a cardboard robot and floating through the through a void on top of a book. And also our chairs are also lampposts. I think I'll be good. So. Mirai says, I didn't choose you because I was confident it would work. When faced with limited means of possibilities, I can only choose the most promising option. And Tepe's like, thank you? So they go with <laughs> Tepe's third option, which we don't really know what that is. But Tepe says, hey, before I go, I have one question. Who are you? This is the best moment in the entire chapter. This is the whole thing where the author has to be like, uh, um, I'm whatever you want me to be, I guess. I am a ghost created by mankind's power of imagination. And Tepe, being a good audience avatar that he is, says, what does that mean? He's like, I'm necessary to move the plot along. I am a plot device. <laughs> and Tepe just stares at me like, I don't have the time I would need to explain. for." Yes, you do. It's <laughs> like, there's no time for questions. My oh, battery's out. I'm going through a tunnel. <laughs> so Tepe's like, well, I guess I've learned what I wanted to know from this. And what was that? Because it wasn't much that was helpful. And Tepe's like, that you wanted to help save I know too. So thanks. And Mirai's like, I don't get you. You didn't ask for this. It all happened to you before you had any idea what was going on. But thank you. <laughs> the fucking, the fucking robot's crying, Nick. It is deliberately made to look like the robot ghost god is slowly crying a tear for how beautiful this relationship is. It's the best thing. But I don't have a soul. <laughs> Tokyo. Time is frozen. I think that's the impression we're meant to get. Honestly, it could just be that like an um, an instance in time, but there's a lot of things that kind of like you would associate with things being frozen. I know is drawn her manga in her office, not looking so good, but she is clearly alive still. Tepe emerges at his studio. He looks at his drawing pad. He looks over at the clock and sees that it is 1241 PM and that the clock is not moving. It's still on 1241 in two seconds. So he smiles and he's like, okay, time to draw. And that's the end of the chapter. I will admit, I'm a little curious what the hell is going to happen next. But Jesus Christ, this was such a... 
because <laughs> that was basically this chapter. It's like a Kingdom Hearts scene where a character just shows up and is like, here's some new elements to discuss. I'm a time-traveling robot created with the power of the collective imagination of humanity. And I'm very specifically involved in this situation and I've been manipulating you in various timelines to do things, but everything's bad. But I don't have a real reason for existing and I can't explain anything further, so do you have an idea what I should do next? Bye! Cry! <laughs> it's great. Uh, I do have a theory for what he's going to do. Uh, I think that he is going to use this time to draw his own original series. And it's going to be pretty bad. It's going to be all those things. And he's going to cancel White Knight and hand in that instead. And have that chapter after. Because the only thing that seems to motivate Iono at all is his work. So I think mm -hmm. the idea of perhaps showing something that's not perfect, but someone could still enjoy will be enough to keep her from feeling like the only way her manga can be enjoyed is if it's perfect. Mm. It sounds like it would be a cool way of wrapping things up. The alternate option is that the reason there was that old man in Ino's past, Chris, was because he's the old man and he spent an eternity drawing all those issues of Jump instead of actually just buying them out of... <laughs> There's secret messages and all of them, like, Luffy, like, I'm going to defeat you, Crocodile, and then I'm definitely not going to overwork myself to the point of exhaustion because that would be bad to the people who love me. <laughs> like, it's weirdly specific, <laughs> I've got a lot of friends who deeply care about my well-being. That's what it means to, to, to have a really loyal crew. What are you talking about right now? <laughs> Ouch. Also, I'm going to punch you in the face because you're a jerk. <laughs> I hate you. Uh, yeah, what a fucking chapter, man. It's great. It's perfect. Oh, God. That kind of exhausted me talking about that. This well, don't worry. don't worry, Nick. I'm taking over here now. So let's talk about We Never Learn. Question 169, <laughs> nice, a pizza bet equals tomorrow night's pixie part one. So we start Ashumi's route here. So Ashumi is the fireworks girl. And in that moment, she's thinking, what now? What if we really do end up together? So a little I like moment the expression. there, folks. I like the expression she has in her face because she's clearly actually embarrassed and blushing. But she's also trying to shoot uh you we go like that. Hey, you know what this means. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, we... the next page, I was immediately like, oh, my God, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we time skip forward about six years. It's not defined, but based off of where Sumi was in her career at the time to where she is now, it seems as about six or seven years have passed. And it's on an island on, like, sort of the coast of Japan that has sort of like a small inland village that Yuega is now the new teacher at the school there. So, hey, Yuega accomplished his job. He became a teacher. He got to the island just today. Everyone's making jokes. So, like, there's no cute guys on this island. So this is no fair. You get a cute guy teacher. And, oh, my uh, God. He's so tall. Yeah. <laughs> he looks so responsible. It's very nice. And they're like, yep, you know what? We actually just combine all the kids together into one class because there's not actually that many kids on the island. Yuiga's like, you know what? It's probably fine. I'm glad they're such a lively group. Um, the other faculty is really nice. Like, it's so nice to have somebody young on the island. You know, we're, we're, there's so many kids and we're all old here. So we kind of just need somebody to help take care of everybody. 
And uh, then there's a lot about like, oh, yeah, speaking of formal, how about that cute new doctor joined us recently? Like, ooh, I think I know who that is. So you kind of do, but also yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. So Uega starts thinking, he's like, yep, it's two years since I first graduated from university. It's been a very long journey, but I managed to get to this teaching position on this small remote island. But still, I foresee plenty of challenges ahead. And he has to like walk all the way to his house, which is really far away. So he's like, oh, I mean, I wish I had just set my luggage here instead. Uh, he runs into one of the schoolgirls at the school who passes out from, I guess, Fragile and anim- fra- smut. That's what she passes out from, Chris. Yeah. She's reading smut as she walks, so that's what does it. Don't read smut and walk, kids. It'll mm-hmm. make you pass out in the middle of the street. Very much so. So Uega takes her to the clinic and who should be there but Asumi. And I actually love the way it happens because he goes into the clinic. We get a full page, like a full body shot of Asumi, and then you just see her drop her pan, which had like all of these syringes and stuff on it. And it's just like I don't know. It's just a very funny reaction of her looking through the door and seeing him immediately just dropping this very important thing in her hands. Uh, they share a little cute moment. Asumi's mom is there. She actually basically runs this place. And Asumi's here because this is where she's doing her residency. So she graduated from medical school, and now she's in her residency, which she needs to do before she can become a full-fledged doctor. So Yuega's like, cool, she's still working on her dream. That's excellent. And Asumi's like, hey, we haven't seen each other in a while. Aren't you going to tell me I look pretty? So they have the exact same relationship, basically, as they did six years ago or whatever, which is... Oh, they're they're picking up where they left off, presumably after not seeing each other this entire time. Which is... When I think about it, kind of sad. Well, it makes sense. I, I've heard medical school can be a very demanding thing. Uega obviously is not the most gifted student, so he has to work really, really hard. So uh, I guess if you didn't have sexy adventures in an apartment building with a ghost during your summer, you really didn't get a chance to interact with him too much. Um, I legitimately hope that Uega keeps uh, contact with the girls and all of the timelines via text because mm-hmm. like they had a very nice bond. So yeah, I, th- I would assume we'll, we'll hear about them, but no timeline happened without some of the other girls at least showing up at some point. So we shall see. Uh, they have their little cute little moment, but basically he heads home, thinks about how he, he saw Asumi and, doing all these things and he's like wow i can't believe we ended up on the the same island and everything like that he, he did also see asumi was having some issues with uh sewing patients up doing the stitch work uh, her mom was like telling her you need more practice about this and he's just like yeah you know what and i think about it, she did kind of get prettier and they think about their time together be like yeah you know you really supported me a lot so we'd be like maybe i should give you a kiss this time and you could just be like i'm not falling for that but then she does kiss him and he's like you know, the lesson of the school festival, do you remember? What if we really do end up together? And he's got to shake his head. He's like, ah, I can't get into those thoughts right now. Goes to his house. It's a pretty nice room. Uh, I guess apartment, rather. And he's, like, just rolling on the ground. It's actually a very cute moment. He's just like, I have so much space here. I don't have, like, six kids. Ah, nice. And he sees, like, kind of a, a discoloration on the wall at the bottom. And he's like, what's with all this? Feels kind of wet. And he pushes straight through into Ashumi's bathroom where she was taking a bath and is only in a towel. And the best moment is she sees him, gets shocked, drops her towel, and Uega screams. He's like, Eek! And she screams as well, but she's like, that's 
my line. I'm supposed to be the one screaming right now. Uh, and then she just is basically like, you know, you don't actually have to apologize. I'm the one who did the very poor job here of actually setting up my house. So I thought I could just plaster over the wall. So we'll, we'll have to get it fixed some other time. And he's like, oh, hey, you know, what are you doing there? And she's like, ah, practicing my stitch work. You know, I had to get these things all together. And it's it's pretty intense. And she gives one for you. Like, here, why don't you try it? And he's like, ah, you see, it, is, it actually is pretty tough. And his is way better than hers. And she just has a face like, you fucking son of a bitch. I've been working so hard on this and it comes natural to you. And Yuiga's just like, huh, I wonder if they'll get us new apartments if we talk to the school, because there's this big hole. And Asumi just grabs him on the shoulder and like, forget about the hole. We're <laughs> never going to be able to forget about the hole we never learned. Never. Quite a line. <laughs> and she just says, hey, whenever you have the time, starting from tomorrow morning until night, I want you to help me practice as much as possible. And in return, I'll show you some of my appreciation and he's like, what? She's like, it doesn't have to be dirty, you know. And thus, we have our premise. Uh, they're both on this island together, and she needs help still. Maybe not with learning so much, but now with another skill. So, there you go. I really liked this. the beginning of this. It uh, establishes a different kind of dynamic than the, Chris <laughs> with all the girls now, okay? <laughs> yeah, all my girls! All my, all my friends are here! Like, uh, that one... <laughs> And that one, and you can't see my hand over here, <laughs> so they're all over here. Uh, it establishes a different uh, setup than what we saw before. I really like that we are seeing uh, Asumi and Yuiga at a different point in their lives than just like fresh out of high school or just barely into college. They're, mm-hmm. you know, fully fledged, you know, mid-20s adults now. Um, and so they've got different responsibilities to go along with that and, and, and stuff. And uh, also, you know, it just establishes like, hey, you know, there is like a different kind of thing that's going on here. Pardon me. Uh, there's, a, you know, a problem that we have to, to uh, resolve that has directly to do with Asumi and Yuiga, as opposed to Sega just having family problems. We found this out five chapters in. You know? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I think I'm pretty excited at the idea of this arc i i i've been pretty clear about this i think asumi is my favorite of the girls i've always enjoyed her personality the most i think ruka is the right girl but i'm actually looking forward to this one a lot and i think the premise has a lot kind of going for it i like the idea of saying hey this is eight years in the future six years in the future whatever it is this is a chance to kind of see a new perspective of the world to kind of also see how these characters change a little bit almost kind of feels like an epilogue chapter arc in a way where you're just like well, let's see something very different from these characters yeah. it'd be interesting to ch- to uh, see little bits of uh, you know the other characters in the series and see where they're at in their mid-20s mm-hmm. so. and also it, it it's something that i kind of hate to bring up because i think that it's kind of awkward but i kind of have to because each of the so aside from the Yuruka arc, we had a thing that established, okay, this is why Yuiga does not end up with this girl that we established previously in both the Ogata arc and the Fumino arc. Both of them directly addressed, this is why Yuiga did not answer Yuruka's confession uh-huh. and get together with her. But 
if Asumi is the girl, and if she didn't directly do anything to impact anything that he was up to, then why didn't he end up with Aruka? Hmm. Yeah. So it's it is something that I do wonder about. But I do really appreciate this different approach to it. So even if we don't get an answer to that, who cares? I I honestly I feel like one of the best things they could do is say she did confess, they did get together, and six years later they're just not together anymore. Maybe, it happens. Yeah, yeah, it happens. But I, I they also seem to suggest that Asumi kissed him all the way back then. So mm, I would hate maybe, to also maybe. create the implication. Doki doki. Yeah, I'd, I'd hate to create the implication that Uega got together with her and just never was really all the way into it because he still always had feelings for Asubi or something like that. Mm-hmm. You're just like, I just can't be into you. I just, you you're not older than me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my kink. Like, that's kind of a specific but also not specific kink. All right, let us move on to Dr. Stone. Z equals 161. Craft Wars! Time to get stone! So, they have decided they need to dig their way into the base. It's going to be up to Chrome to figure out what tech they need in order to pull it off because Senku is down for the count, recovering from being shot. So... Uh, he gets a piece of canvas ready. He's like, all right, I'm going to start things off by making the roadmap for us. And Sukasa's like, this is going to take time. And it's going to take us probably like at least two weeks. So uh, communique over with uh, the Perseus. Uh, and they're like, OK, we need to do something, you know, in order to figure out what we're going to do. Uh, we have to figure out what the enemy is going to do. Zeno and his people could show up at any time and demand our surrender. So we so what's going to happen here? They're like, okay, if first possible situation is they're going to you know, attack us immediately using like some sort of high speed vessel. And when are they going to do that? Uh, so Ryusui just you know surmises, okay, we need to convince them that it's a bad idea to strike rashly. We need to f- have them think that they have to wait a couple of weeks until they're like dead certain they can take us down. So. What they do is they have Ukyo shoot an arrow, which has the petrification device at the door of the facility that Zeno is, you know, huddled up in. And of course, Kinro's like, we're just handing over that weapon. And Nikki's like, it's out of juice. So it can you know, whatever. So, um, so it's brought over to Zeno, of course. And Ryusui basically is like, okay, so, a scientist of Zeno's caliber is going to see that thing and realize that it is hypertech, way beyond the technological capabilities of the 21st century. And so they're like, is that going to actually work, though? And Reeves is like, it won't work on its own. We'll need someone with a lie, a lie with a phony explanation. And of course, <laughs> Ken is there. And he's me like, oh, the petrification device. <laughs> so he fibs, of course, mm-hmm. as he basically immediately figures out what the hell is going on and what he's supposed to do. And he's like, oh, yeah, we on this island, we found so many of them and they all the petrify everything. It's like that thing that, you know, made the worldwide petrification happen. Oh, yeah. Of course, people are doubting this. 
And this guy is like hauling some equipment nearby. And he's like, you know, we don't really believe anything you say now at face value after, you know, you lied about your leader. It wasn't Dr. Taiji. It was Dr. Senku. And again, just like, really? (laughs) It was. Oh, I mean, I just kind of thought they were. The two of them are inseparable. And I do like the detail that, you know, Zeno kind of thinks back to knowing what he knows about Senku, you know, the fact that Taiji was always with them. So it's like there is just enough of a hint of the truth there that you can't just dismiss him out of hand. So he's like, all right. So. So he says, putting aside Gen's trustworthiness, this machine is very technologically advanced. And Stan is like, well, how the hell does this thing work? How long does it work? What's its range? Yes, Stan is back at the base. So they're like, Gen's like, oh, I don't know any of that stuff because, you know, it's close to kept secret from the battle team, you know, it's uh, but it's just like that thing that petrified everyone on the Earth, so it's really dangerous. Yeah, it's really bad, yeah. So Zeno says, this is unexplained science. We have no method by which to verify your claim. Not that it matters. At that moment... The large muscular woman that we saw several chapters ago comes up behind Gen and applies the Great Kali vice grip. He really does. That's pretty much exactly all it is. Then she starts going, Aah! basically she is making sure that Gen can't hear anything, uh, which Gen immediately realizes, but he's like, oh, okay, as, as you know, they start walking through the facility, and Stan and uh, and Zeno are now allowed to have a private discussion. And Stan inquires how the you-know-what is coming along, because once it's ready, the petrification device won't matter, because they won't even have time to toss it. And uh, Zeno goes further into the facility. He calls out for Dr. Brody whom he is counting on with his golden right arm. Dr. Brody is presumably the large man who was hauling equipment around before. He's got mad scientist goggles on. And uh, Zeno wants to know how long it's going to take to complete his device. And he says, two weeks. So they're happy about that. But Gen is like, okay, I don't really know what the hell is going on here. But if nothing else, I've managed to buy us a little bit of time. So it is a race. Between the two sides for the two devices that they're working on, the mysterious volcano that Dr. Brody is working on, whatever the hell that is, and, of course, the tunneling machine that uh, that Chrome is working on. And both of them are... So basically, we now know the time limit is two weeks for the Kingdom of Science to work on. Uh, measurements get taken so that they know exactly how far they need to tunnel, uh, using triangulation, which is a very handy way of telling distance. Chrome has to do a lot of long uh, arithmetic, which hurts his brain, but he manages to pull it off and figure out exactly how far their current position is from the base. And then he's like, all right, I've got it. Here's my original roadmap for Dr. Chrome's first big invention. And so they've got it. I do like that it's a different art style than the kind that we always see whenever Senku makes one. It's a lot more roughshod and kind of cartoonish. And uh, so he's like, okay, we're going to start here. We got to use an engine and iron and use Kaseki's bad skills. And <laughs> we're go- <laughs> and there's all sorts of stuff like, you know, puff, puff machines. 
but uh, he introduces like the baddest part is this thing in the middle. My <laughs> diggerific rotating impelling land eating loop knife. For short, you take the first letters and you get D R I L L. And of course, all the people there who are from modern times are like, ah, a drill. He's like, ah! <laughs> Ah, this is a fun little chapter. And this one I like significantly yes. more than last week because I I do like the idea of not necessarily that Chrome needs to be the one to defeat Xenu or Xeno, but he needs to be the one to do this mission. He needs to complete it before Xeno can complete his. And I I yeah. I really love the the Inagaki style of developing this villain group. We already know Zeno, we know Stanley, we know technically Luna, although she's kind of turning sides, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Now we also have this 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 uh, crafter, this uh, other guy. We have this this other individual in there. There's uh, Carlos and Hyde, I want to say, where the two guys, like, there's a group here. There's a ton of characters. And I know there were some characters back on the last island with, like, Ibarra and... Uh, Moe's and stuff like that. Like, and but big, those and the big guard, and that was kind of it. Yeah, like it didn't really feel like there was a ton of diversity there. Whereas here, you could see. I mean, like just the panel of science versus science. It's such a, a, a an Ice Shield twenty one moment, but it's always exciting to see these parallels, this matchup that has to occur, and it's it's really exciting. I really dig it. Uh, I also did enjoy. I forget if it was Boichi or Inagaki who said it in their comments this week that the scene of Ukio firing the arrow was kind of also meant to be a way of the Kingdom of Science saying, hey, we have a sniper too. And he was like, I was kind of disappointed that it didn't really feel like it came off that way. And I could kind of see that. But at the same time, now that I read it that way, I'm like, that is actually a pretty fucking dope scene too. So I really just shoots it it across this long distance. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't have anyone around to really react to it or be really shocked by it, Mm -hmm. but it is a pretty cool moment when you take it in that context. So I I like that a lot too. Well, there's a lot more going on in the chapter. So I understand why that one moment didn't come across as exactly as intended. So, yeah. All right, Nick, you know, we got (laughs) to talk about now. It's time to talk about Well, Chris, Ma- one of Makima's dogs was named Cream Puff, you'll recall. So. It's time to talk about Mashalnik, Magic and Muscles, Chapter 26, Mash Vandred. Series every week, even more now. <laughs> Mash Vandred in the Accelerated Battle. So, one other thing, I don't know if I mentioned earlier, I'm going to take over for talking about Mashal now, so we can give Nick a little bit more of a vocal rest especially towards the end here. And uh, we start this chapter as this big fight's about to happen between Mash and the Mask guy. Mash starts off, he's doing like that hopping in place kind of thing to like get himself psyched up. And then he just dashes forward, gives this big kick, kicks the Mask guy like all this way back, really sends it back. But the Mask guy looks like he blocks it with his sword. And he's just like, all right. And there's a little moment where he just kind of hovers there. And then all of a sudden he's, he's behind Mash and Mash gets cut. And the mask guy just says, you can't win. Not immense me. Abyss Razor. <laughs> the second <laughs> fang of the Magia Lupus. Abyss Razor. <laughs> I swear to God, I am planning to put together one of those, like, your birthday plus your first letter of your name list <laughs> for name your national character. I'm just going to find cool words in English and just combine them in there. Uh, so he's surrounded by all these arrows, much like that one character from uh, Soul Eater. I can't remember who it was, but that was a very visual thing they did, too. 
And then he actually steps on one of the arrows and says, Accelerate. And he dashes forward, and all of a sudden he's now past Mash, and he cuts him. This is interesting, because that looks like magic. But this person seemed to imply they don't have magic. In yeah. fact, several times throughout this chapter, Abyss, Abyss says, like, we are supposed to be the same, so why does he have this magic? Uh, so he's basically like, hey, you know what? We're, we're, do you get it now? We're incomparable. You can continue challenging me now, but I'm not going to go easy on you. If you, and Mash just interrupts, he's like, doesn't matter. None of that matters. None of it. So Abyssa says, okay, live in peace with your family, was it? How revolting. And we just see a, like a close-up panel of his eye. And I always forget how great the, the art in Mashal can be in those moments. Because it's a terrifying visual of just like this tiny iris inside of this mask. And just the malice in its eyes. Uh, and he's like, ah, you know, to think someone could share my circumstances and still think that way. You've really been blessed. Fine, then. Show me your best. And he reveals this visual of Lemon. It, like show a hologram that shows lemon basically in like the crucifix position and there are these like different orbs that are draining things from her and he explains yep this device drains magic power in 30 minutes she'll be completely drained and she will lose everything she will have no more magic left she'll lose her mark she'll never be able to cast magic again what do you think now your bet now your friend will be just like you doesn't that make you happy and master says you can't be serious because if you are that mask is coming off in pieces. So Abyss is like, all right, fine, let's do this, and sends a shit ton of arrows out. They're, they're, they're surrounding Mash in all different directions. He's, he calls it the Accelerate Sphere, and is just slashing Mash apart in all the directions, and finally steps on one and drives forward with a lunge that goes straight through Mash's uh, abdomen. And it's a moment where he's like, yep, anyone could spout high-minded ideals, but in the end, it's just talk. You're incapable of saving anyone. He's like, oh, hold on a moment. I can't pull out my sword. And Mash says, caught you! <laughs> and the, the dude's like, holy shit, he clenched his abdominal muscles to catch me! And Mash just grabs him by the neck of his, like, by the collar of his shirt and says, my abs are pretty toned, aren't they? And you just get a one-page spread of him headbutting the guy straight in the face and shattering his mask. It's fucking glorious. He straight up Zorakied him. He straight up did. He, it's such a terrifying because I'm like visually I'm thinking about it, I'm like that would hurt so much to be cut somewhere like that and then have to flex that muscle that tightly. Oh yeah, because you're like tearing the muscles more as they tighten around the blade in order to do that. But it's so creative in the way like because we've seen that before. Like I'll be purposely hurt so I can catch the person, but just the idea of like I can get stabbed in the stomach then flex my muscles so that I can punch you in the face, you fast little dick. Oh, I legitimately, I've read this chapter like four times and every time I got so excited at the end. It's really cool. Uh, it's it. I mean, Mashal has been demonstrating recently is like, yeah, it can do really cool fight scenes, too. Um, the <laughs> Abyss Razor uh, is, is the best name. His technique uh, gr actually greatly reminds me of uh, one of the fi early fights in uh, Demon Slayer. Um, where there's like uh, arrows involved and stuff, but the arrows are used very differently. But this, it's the same visual and stuff. Uh -huh. It's uh, but it's 
It's cool. It's a little bit weird how this thing kind of paces itself out. It almost reading this chapter, it almost kind of made me think that there was a chapter that was missing right beforehand. But uh, oh, what we got from this was really cool. So yeah, yeah, I really dug it. Mission Yozakura family. <laughs> what what is behind you right now? <laughs> oh, we're talking about Mission Yozakura family. So I guess. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I needed I needed to come up with an appropriate background for this series, and I found one. Man, it's backwards, but okay. Um, <laughs> so, I just saw this blank white screen, and I was just like, "What the hell is it now?" <laughs> oh man. Mission 46, the unseen gunshot wound. That mysterious guy in the coat with the ring on his finger is... This is God, it's so weird seeing your body disappearing into the white void over. No, it's not. It's fine. Keep going, Nick. Shinzo gets in touch with Tayo saying, like, hey, things are cool now. And Tayo kind of wobbles a bit. And the guy in the coat catches him as he starts to stumble. He's like, are you pert? And Tyler's like, someone was still here, huh? But the guy walks away shortly after saying, you can't protect what you wish to protect with a weak body, so take care of yourself. And Tyler's like, huh, what a weirdo. As Shinzo shows up, and uh, then Shinzo's like, Tayo, what's that? I was like, what are you talking about? And blood is oozing out of his body and staining his shirt from the inside. And then he just goes, <clears throat> and he falls over. <laughs> so he's not doing so hot all of a sudden. Cuts back to the Yozakura residence. Uh, Tayo is bandaged up and hooked up to medical equipment and stuff. He's got wires going on his body. He's got a you know breathing mask and stuff. Uh, now is analyzing his wounds and everything. And uh, they say like, yeah, if if Shinzo had not been there to give him first aid, he he would be dead. Uh, Mutsumi, of course, is very worried for her husband. Uh, Kyoichiro, asshole that he is, but at least he's less of a dick than usual, starts scribbling on Tayo's face while he's unconscious. So Futaba beats him up so badly that he is censored. Uh-huh. Which is weird. Um now drops him outside and says, no visitors except for family. And Kyoichiro's like, I'm, I'm his, uh, Anyway, Shinzo's outside uh, while this is going on. He, of course, is, you know, kind of like feeling guilty, holding himself. And Kyoichiro starts to comfort him. And Shinzo says, it's not that. I just can't believe what happened. Because right before my eyes, he was just suddenly covered in blood. And we see it from his view of, like, Tayo just standing there normally. And then, like, bullets just suddenly are all, you know, going into him from all directions at once. And he says, I can detect a silencer or a sniper with my ears. And there was no blood lust around. There was no human presence around. No sound. The only thing I can think of is that he was attacked before I arrived. And his body had a delayed reaction to it. Like when you don't realize when you've been cut by a master till later. That sort of thing is normally impossible, but if anyone could do something like that, it would be that. 
person. My favorite thing in manga where you could just address somebody's name, Big but shot. you just use some vague term instead. Anohito. So we get more weird spy family nonsense because apparently the cuckoo cloud is actually an alarm and they like give an indication of like, yeah, like the different cause mean that there's different numbers of intruders. Who cares? There's a lot of intruders outside. There are over a thousand people. Many of you are mutated because they took uh, the super we stole from the Yuzakura family gene uh, drug thing. There are helicopters from which people are descending and uh, Yama, leader of the Cherry Blossom Leaf Hazakura Battalion, is there, and he is leading them, and his eyes all clenched up. And uh, he's getting word from uh, the doctor guy, who's like, we'll get rid of the troublesome Yuzakura family in one fell swoop, except for Mutsumi. That's right, I too am obsessed with Mutsumi. But probably because of the family gene thing, and I want to use it for power instead of actual infatuation, but don't count me down, there's never too many of those for Mission Yuzakura family. They advance in the mansion. The family dog shows up. It gr he grows. He attacks a few of them. Things go well for a little while. And then, as the smoke clears from the first assault, the real monsters arrive. And so, basically, all of the family are going outside of the mansion, of course, save for Mutsumi, who is still looking after Tayo. And uh, they're getting ready to fuck shit up. There's a nice, cool, full-page spread with all of them all walking together, getting ready to defend their home and their adopted brother against these people. So, there's a couple... There, there's a, a little bit of coolness in this chapter, but it's still very weird at the, at the beginning. And it's also weird to see the pacing set by this chapter, because it's like... Is this series ending too? <laughs> it seems like a sudden acceleration, but this series has always had a weird pacing. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's ending or anything like that. I think the the thing here, Mishinjo's Akura family has kind of set itself to a stance of like, we'll be serious for like a month and a half, and then we're gonna go right back to the jokes. So I think this is the month and a half we're being serious still, and then in about two chapters once they deal with everything they'll we'll just go back to like joke chapters again that's that's my expectation people are saying that they think this is like the chapter where it turns into a battle manga and maybe it is i just don't have that confidence because Oops. i thought we would kind of gone past that two times now already so yeah. who knows all right so i don't have anything for for black clover unfortunately maybe next week Instead, Nick, let's just talk about Black Clover. Page 260, Dark Out. So, they did it. They beat Dante. He's been defeated. He's done. He's on the ground. Asta's arm yeah, no, is... No fooling. He's, yeah. been, he's been beaten. They, yep. they won the fight. It was not a, not a cop-out. So. Asta starts to pass out because he's like, ah, oh, I'm so tired. And, and Yami's like, well done, Asta. You did. He's like, yes, sir. Everyone's praising them. Everyone's like, thank God. This really worked. They kind of note that Dante's not dead, although he's probably dying. So that might be relevant towards the end of this chapter. And he's like, well, you know what? We managed to get the first, the, the top devil host of that country. So I guess everything worked out. And then Zeno shows up and they're like, uh, uh, who was the top devil owner you were saying? Bitch? <laughs> and in a single, basically it's a full page spread. And then all of a sudden, a series of bodes impaled Yami, and Fiddle just looks over in horror as it all happens. 
and there's another set of bones that are impaling uh, William Vengeance, and they're like, holy shit, they have it now, the world tree magic and dark magic, that's what they need to open the underworld. So, uh, Zeno explains, like, yep, magic was fluctuating a lot here, kind of conservatively, and I came to look into it. That said, and then he's like, I don't know, you said all that, and then you lost, you're hopeless. So he picks up Dante's body, and then he tries to strike Asta, and Finral uses his teleportation, or spatial magic, rather, to make it so it goes a different direction. And, you know, Zeno's like, mm, spatial magic, eh? And then he thinks, like, ah, that's his. And thinking back to Yuno, and he's like, maybe it's good that I got him early. I'd rather take that one out as well, but it's time. And uh, Gauss screams, you're not going anywhere. They do a gigantic combo attack, or he uses a big, like, mirror uh, reflecting attack, and he just uses his bones to block all of it. Uh, God, Henry, that's his name. Henry actually flies the Black Bull headquarters out, but... A bunch of bones just break it. Asta goes inside to his devil and is like, "Devil, I need I need power again. Just let me your power again one more time." And devil says, "No, like, nope. <laughs> you can't handle it anymore. You're done. Besides, I don't want anything more from you anymore. You can't make any contracts with me. It's your fault for being weak." Uh, Vanessa creates the uh, rogue or rouge rather. It's like rouge. You gotta do something. If you could touch the captain, then your power will activate. They won't be able to hurt him. Uh, but then he just zaps it away, basically. Uh, and then walks through the portal. And Yami looks out to everybody. And they have to watch as the portal closes behind them. And the Black Bulls are left defeated. Their master and captain having been taken away. This is a great chapter. Yeah. This is an astoundingly great chapter. You know, it did something that Black Clover has never done effectively before, which is it has left the Black Bulls taking a huge loss, suffering a great defeat after they did their best and just got outmaneuvered at the very end. It's a great way of kind of protecting them because they had this whole huge drawn out battle with a very powerful opponent ahead of time. And then someone else just swooped in and took advantage of them in their weakened state in order to get away with something that made them weaker because he's taken away their greatest asset and Captain Yami. Um, And, you know, it leaves Asta with huge uh, obstacle to overcome because he has been confronted with this observation by the devil inside him that you're too weak. This is, you know, that's all. You don't have anyone to blame for, but, but yourself for just being too weak to be able to make a difference right now. And that's it. Mm. Um, and I really actually, I really love the sequence where everyone is doing everything they can to try and stop this guy from getting away from Yami. There is no question of, well, why didn't you try and do something? Why yeah. did not you try and do something? Either someone was down for the count or they did their damnedest to try and stop him. And they, he just stepped away through the portal. So it's great. Yep, it's excellent. Uh, I actually really also enjoy because it's it's pretty much the Black Clover mantra of I gotta get stronger. But this time, Asta being told like, no, you ha- it's your fault for being weak and that being his motivation, presumably to now get stronger, is actually really cool because it's coming from somebody who's more powerful and is just like, 
probably could have helped, but you're too weak to actually do anything, buddy. So, no. Like, I kind of like that now this relationship is developing between Asta and the devil inside of him. And I said everyone was working together in this big moment. And we've now kind of really cemented that Zeno is this big bad guy of the Spade Kingdom. So it works on a lot of levels, and I'm pretty excited for everything going on. Couple other small details that didn't really get brought up before. Uh, Asta's arm does appear to be permanently black and demonic right now, and it is when it's just you know like a calm uh, scene at the like at the very beginning. It really is just like oh wow, yeah, that's that's kind of nasty looking mm. <laughs> when you just look at it uh, while he's not in the middle of a fight. And uh, also there there's some more ship teasing with Gray and uh, Gauch. Yep. There's, there's a little bit of moments there. I also like the visual of the last panel of Asta looking at the portal closing, and the only thing left in the foreground is Yami's sword stuck yeah. to the ground. It's the only thing they have left of him now. Yeah. I also really like the page right before that where Yami is just kind of like, good luck, guys, you can do it, Yeah. sort of expression, and everyone else is just shocked and horrified that this person that they care for so much is being taken away, and they're helpless to stop it. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's finish up with One Piece. All my friends are here. But uh, chapter nine eighty seven of One Piece: Vassals of Glory. Chris is gonna take me a little bit of getting used to to remember. He's like, all right, Jinbei actually is a, a straw hat now, so he'll show up on this in the straw hat uh, collages now. Yep, he is officially a straw hat. Yeah. Oh, fish. Oh, shit. Never uh, even thought of that before. Nick, you gotta tweet that out before someone takes nope, it. Nope. <laughs> I'm gonna take that right now. Go ahead. <laughs> we get a set of flashbacks basically from I believe all from Kaido's perspective of his different experiences and of, you know, his confrontation with Kinemon, you know, being wounded by him in their battle, Kinemon saving the Akasai and I and having them all flee. And then Kaido shooting him in the head and then his body falling in the boiling oil. Thinking of all that while in the present, all of the Akasai are pushing him off a balcony <laughs> and stabbing their swords into him. It's a, uh, pretty gruesome and great because they're just going all in on him and their blades are actually hurting him too which uh, is shocking him because he's and he's like what the hell and the scar i got from odin is 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 hurting and why do their blades pierce me are they using the same technique and he's crying out in pain and and shock and stuff as they're all of them are just like pierce his hide just coming down and with all their swords at once and um they fall to the ground, they crash through the floor, and immediately, of course, they're surrounded by people, and they're like, freaking kill the samurai, because they're surrounded by people. But, of course, Hyogro and, and some of his men were min- mingled in with the crowd. They reveal themselves and draw their weapons in order to prevent anyone from getting to the Akazaya. Big Mom is, is watching and is just like, ha, ah, this sounds fun. <laughs> she just doesn't care, basically. I do kind of like how it was this big wedding. She's just like, tee this looks fun. Uh, Yamato and Luffy go rushing in. Uh, God, what's her name? Ulti. 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 She's like, ah, I found you, Yamato. And so they clash weapons. And uh, Ulti's like, you're going to pay for what you did to me. Why did you do that, Yamato? 
game. I was like, I mean, it's what I should have done. This is the day I become Kozuki Odin at last. And Ulti's just like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Are you crazy or stupid? It's a great thing to have to shout at somebody. I love the next bit too because one of the random soldiers is like, Young Master Yamato, there's an emergency. Your father's been attacked and the air is crawling with enemies. And Yamato's like, I'm not on your side anymore. Let him die. <laughs> uh, so, but for a bit, Big Mom kind of did seem like she would just like watch stuff happen, but then she's like, Strat! <laughs> so, not so much now. Um, Carrot and Nami utilize that opening to break themselves free uh, using their respective lightning attacks. Big Mom declares to Luffy, I came all this way just so I could kill you. Which is horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Kaido is surrounded by the Akazaya, but he's starting to get to his feet, clutching the wounds that he's been given, and he's like, ah, Orochi's hallucinations that no one believed have come to pass. The rumors of figures at Odin Castle, Punk Hazard, Dress Rosa, the Lost Island of Zoe. Oddly enough, you have been hiding in the shadow, cast by the very man I've had my eye on, Straw Hat. So you've allied yourselves with pirates, you persevered for 20 years and in some cases traveled through time. You managed to recruit an army, but pirates will betray you. When they know you'll lose, they will abandon you and sail away. And I've already beaten Straw Hat Luffy into submission once. And Kinemon's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Luffy is not like you. He will one day stand at the pinnacle of the sea. If every last one of us dies... He will remain. Mark my words. Daybreak will come to Wano. That is the promise I made to my lord. Cool speeches back to back. That's very, very cool. Sure this, this also is, I think, such a, a, a particularly cool moment. There's this, this visual element that kind of ties together the whole of this long. I don't know what you call it. Wano saga, Kaido saga, whatever. All these little pieces that have kind of existed. As we said, we, we've known Kinemon since Punk Hazard. We knew about Raizo over Dress Rosa. Seeing all these characters with all their different ways of like, you've preserved 20 years or you traveled through time or you've recruited an army and all these kind of zooming in on these characters who are so very relevant to that statement and showing them all here standing around a circle of this big threat to Kaido really does add this grandiose, elegant element to this showdown that just shows how much work has been put into this storyline. It, it's it's kind of marvelous just to kind of witness. Yeah, it really feels like it's all coming together now. So... Big Mom is, is going over towards Luffy on the performance floor. And she's like, what the hell are you doing here, Straw Hat? And don't tell me jokes about beating Kaido. And Luffy says, no, that's not it. He kind of pauses to you know think about this for a minute. And Yamato's like, it's not? And you know, Hyogoro's like, what the hell are you, the, you, what, what are you talking about? It's, and, but Luffy explains, it's Kaido and you... And your officers, and Orochi, and his followers. 
I came here to whoop the whole lot of you. It's an all-out war. Big Mom finds this very amusing. And she's like, oh, yeah, you can't do that with what, a few hundred men. And Queen's like, yeah. And it's, of course, it's time for one of my favorite, probably my single favorite running gag of this arc. As Queen gets news on the phone, like, there's an invading force of thousands <laughs> stuck in through the rear. He's like, ah! His eyes buck out and his tongue goes out. And uh, yeah, he's like, yeah. The samurai we arrested in the flower capital and the prisoners from Udon, the former warlord Law, his, the, all the, the pirates from earlier, they're all working and they just keep coming. And Mark of the Phoenix is here with Charlotte Prospero. And every and so the, the queen gets in contact on the radio. It's just like, every last drunk on Onigashima, listen, the party's over. Grab your weapons. And be, the battle commences, basically, on all fronts. Uh, Kaido is actually seemingly very excited by this going on. He's like, I'm going to show you the greatest army in the world as he takes his dragon form and flies up into the air and he crashes through the ceiling while Kinemon and the other Akazayas cling on to him seemingly and ride him up uh, as well. And Luffy just says, hey, I'll catch up with you guys later. <sighs> so, Fuck, man. The visual of them riding all the way to the roof and that's the place where the battles like this is why Oda is so good at these moments because all of these elements are creating a moment and it's such a great visual. There's, there's spatial considerations now to like kind of keep in your mind. This element of like the snow falling is very theatric. God damn. He's good. Also the visual of Kaido taking up that much space mm -hmm. looking all majestic as he's framed by the moon so Kaido says, I think I've sobered up. If you want to do battle, an open space is best, just like the last time. Only now, Odin is dead. But Cat Viper says, there's one more difference between that day and now. We had a feeling you wouldn't be fighting inside the dome in dragon form. So we brought many a warrior from our kingdom with us. And Kaido looks out and sees Many minks gathered, all in their musketeer outfits and stuff. And Cat Fiber goes on to say, The snow is light like flower petals. The perfect night to watch the full moon. So fucking good, man. God Good damn. stuff. It is a really, I saw, really good chapter. I saw a fan comic someone uh, put up on, uh, on Twitter, <laughs> which was like... Uh, Kaido responds to this by saying, oh, you thought I didn't know the Mink secret, and then he just blows up the moon <laughs> like Dragon Ball Z. No! <laughs> and it, like, cut to... Uh, An error. Know. Yeah, he's like, ah! <laughs> so, whoever whoever made that, very good, uh, very good joke, but, yeah, um, yeah this, is a, this is a badass chapter, and it's like, hey, fighting is starting now, and there's this showdown that has been brewing, you know, in the universe for 20 years, come to fruition here and we've gotten all of this lead up to it in this arc as well so cool stuff yeah. and uh it's nice to see be reminded also it's like hey this is what our what our guys are actually fighting for this is why this battle is important so yep i i really really dig it i think this is a great chapter all around and i'm really really excited for the next one which we will not get for quite some time <laughs> the next chapter comes in 11 days cool so Chris, 
It was a good chapter of One Piece, but was it your favorite chapter of the week? No, Nick, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I, I have to be honest. So my my chapter of the week is Mashable Magic and Muscles because mm-hmm. I have become a simp for it. And I, I like just the end moment there of Mash headbutting him was such a cool visual and just it, it got me so pumped. I said, I read that chapter like four or five times and I just really, really loved it. So uh, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be giving it to Mash. I'm giving mine to Black Clover. It was okay. a good chapter. It surprised me, but I mean, it was emotional. It was shocking. And uh, there were a lot of details in it that I really appreciated. So it was a nice all around, very solid chapter. Yeah. My MVP, I am going. Hmm. Oh, I'll, I'm going to tell you mine first. If you want my, my MVP is Mariah the Robot from Time Paradox Ghost Rider. Really? <laughs> no character made more of an impact on me this week than this fucking ghost robot who travels through time and is clearly just an author deus ex machina and at the end he cries a single robot tear. It's fucking beautiful, man. I don't know how it could be anyone but him. You make a powerful <laughs> argument, I will admit. <laughs> Uh, my character of the week, I think I'm going to give to the Holy Knight Izuma Kisaragi because he's just such an idiot and he made a very, very strong debut chapter for me. So there you go. Our audience picked One Piece as their chapter of the week and it was Den- a good chapter. And Denji from Chainsaw Man as the character of the week. And he had a very Poor great Denji. week as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, that is going to do it for this week's edition of Weekly Manga Recap. We want to thank you for joining us. We record the show here on twitch.tv slash RoloT Wednesdays sometime between 7 and 8 Eastern time in the evening. Be sure to follow us for updates, though, so you can know exactly when we're going to start recording the podcast. At Demar Podcast for the official podcast account, at RoloT, at Nick F. Time for your two hosts. You can also check out our past episodes on weeklymagarecap.podbean.com. Be sure to check out our Discord server where you can uh, do all sorts of stuff. You can participate in an RP, an RP uh, Discord channel if you want to. Why not? Uh, that is also where you can find the Google Doc spreadsheet maintained by Ninja X3i, where which keeps track of all sorts of uh, statistics and information in regards to the podcast, including what manga we have done recommendations on previously which ones are kind of in the pipeline that people have recommended before add your voice to that if you want to recommend a series also there is a section for for questions for the q a episode that we do occasionally we want to send special thanks to our supporters on patreon patreon.com slash weekly manga recap you allow us to create bonus content for you guys to enjoy Special thanks as well go out to the aforementioned Ninja, Ninja X3i as well as Steve Manor who you can find in a number of different places he drops boobs to Infamous Planet for creating the framework for the visual edition of the podcast, and to Wesley L. Cheddar and Milo Jack Stillis for creating the opening theme of Weekly Manga Recap. That's going to do it for everyone. That's going to do it this week, everybody. I hope everybody has fun, and we're going to catch you next time right here on the Manga Podcast. And don't forget, if you're ever wondering what to feel about Mashal, just remember it's very meh. Can you say meh, kids? I'm going to be a kid show host now, Nick. Kids! Can you say you said, meh? You said, you said Mashal, not Mission Goes a Girl Family. Mission Goes a Girl Family. You know what I said. 
Uh, the yeah. truth the truth relies itself. No, Nick, I can't. I'm a simp. I need to give it money. <laughs> no! As I, like, I disappear into, like, a cream puff that just falls to the ground. Like, ah! Like, wow, Chris, you really stepped up the background elements there. <laughs> Chris. Chris. <laughs>